Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Welcome to Carriker and Smallwood on 101 ESPN. It's 701, your time check. Brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And yes, you hear that song because the Blues opened up their season with a 4-1 win last night over the Colorado Avalanche. And Michelle, it went just as we expected it would. How great is it to wake up on a Thursday morning (laughs) and you have not only Blues hockey to talk about, but a Blues win over the team that's favored by most people to win the Stanley Cup. And it was such quintessential Blues hockey, wasn't it? Aside from allowing Colorado to get the lead, the Blues pretty much took it to them and dominated them. Once Colorado scored that first goal, I think a lot of people thought, oh, wow, here here we go. This is going to be a team that a lot of people are going to have problems with. And the Blues said, oh, we're just stretching. Let yep. us just shake the rust off a little bit. And then they, they stuck it to them the rest of the game. Okay, within minutes before the game start, starts we learn that mike hoffman has visa issues and isn't gonna play and i'm thinking oh no come on same i thought the same thing i go really come on visa issues yeah so they move oscar sunquist up and they get sammy blay into the lineup on the fourth line so uh, you've got a different look than the blues have had throughout the 10 days of training camp and lo and behold the blues take two early penalties and Andre Perikowski scores 455 into the game. Colorado leads 1-0. But then the Blues got into their game, and they were fantastic 5-on-5. Five five. Oscar Sundquist scoring the first goal of the Blues season. Sundquist, he had gone down, they probably call a penalty. I'm glad he didn't go down. The Blues get it in. Schwartz to Sundquist, he scores! Oscar Sundquist started the play from behind his net. Joined the rush and puts it in from Schwartz. And the Blues have tied the game 1-1. 10-27 to go. First period of play. And a great play by Robert Thomas as well. Thomas and Schwartz with the assists. And Sonny with his first of the year. And just like last year, Michelle, and really in the playoffs the year before, when Oscar Sundquist is there, the Blues are a much better team. And he can play anywhere up front. He's somebody that you notice him when he's out on the ice. He's kind of like a Swiss army knife, Randy. Mm -hmm. Wherever Craig Berube decides to use him, he makes the most of that opportunity. And I know he's the one that scored the goal, but that Robert Thomas play to set him up was a jaw dropper. 
Robert Thomas is, as we've mentioned, a guy that can elevate people around him, and he's just going to get better and better and better and better. It's got to be scary for the rest of the league if they're paying attention. It should be, but we spoke to Robert Thomas about this. He knew that heading into this season, he had a big opportunity to take that next step. He knew that Craig Ruby and Doug Armstrong and his teammates know what he's capable of. And to see him make a play like that so early in the first game lets you know that what he told us is correct, that he welcomes the pressure and that he welcomes this opportunity. It seems like he's really going to thrive this year. At the 13-15 mark, a 1-1 game in the third line stepped up. Blues win the draw. Kairou centered it. It hit off the skate of Sanford. The Blues jam at it to try to keep it in, and they're able to do it. They get it to Cairo. Over to Sanford. Back to Cairo. They score! Cairo takes a great feed from Bozak, and the Blues are on top 2-1. to one. 6.45 to go in the first period. And what a great reward for a solid shift for Jordan Cairo. Little tic-tac-toe getting the puck to the net. Cairo scores his first of the year, and he just looks like... A player who has emerged and the Blues do a great job of developing young guys and letting them find their way and a lot of times it's like come on why isn't he playing more well there is a developmental stage that Doug Armstrong has a philosophy about and Jordan Cairo went through that last year and now he gets an opportunity on the third line he wears number 25 which is a much better goal scoring number than 33 and he scores a goal it's all attributed to the number change. It's huge. It's, it's a big part of it. <laughs> he felt differently wearing that number. <laughs> yeah, he did. A scoreless second period, and the Blues still have a 2-1 lead as they head to the third at the 646 mark. 13-24 to go here in the third period. Both these teams will play on Friday night at Ball Arena. Blues center. They go to shoot. They score! Kyle Clifford! The newcomer is extended the lead for the Blues. In the high slot, he rips it in. And the Blues have taken a 3-1 lead. 13-14 to go, third period. Kind of looks like Brett Hall there. There's some guys you just don't leave alone out front. And Kyle Clifford apparently is one of those. Did you think he would be the first newcomer on this team to score for the Blues? I did not. No, I did not not see that coming. I think most of us thought it might be Hoffman. Or Krug. Or Krug. But with Hoffman not there, Kyle Clifford said... This is an opportunity for me. <laughs> Blues up three to one. And then with just over five minutes left in the third period. Robert Bortuz under the neutral zone to Oscar Sunquist. Looking ahead for Jaden Short to assist it on the Sunquist goal. Thomas will go flying in. Got it. He centers. Sunquist shoots. He scores. The speed of Schwartz crossed up Grubauer. And Sunquist has two in the game. The Blues have put four on the board, and they lead 4-1 to one with 5.38 to go in the third period of play. And 4-1 was the final, and as Michelle said, Craig Bruby just a wizard in getting people in the right spot at the right time, and that includes last night, number 70, Oscar Sundquist. Well, yeah, he came up big tonight. I thought that uh, just with the matchups, I, I thought it was uh, you know a good move to put Sonny up there with uh, Thomas and Schwartzy. Uh, they're, you know, with the McKinnon line and the Kadri line, so uh, they did a great job. Michelle, I am a big advocate of putting together lines with a thought process. And I think that one, even though it wasn't planned, where you have a a more substantial player at Oscar Sundquist, a bigger guy. And then uh, on the left wing, you have Jaden Schwartz, who we know gets up and down the ice. He's a terrific defender and he can make plays for you. And then you have 
uh, a guy who's a lot heavier, gained 15 pounds than Robert Thomas, who's a playmaker. If you can get the puck to the stick of Oscar Sundquist or Jaden Schwartz, mm-hmm. you've got a chance. I really like that line. I, I think I might like the Hoffman line better because he's scored 20 in the last six seasons. But I love the fact that you can pull a guy up from your fourth line and get that out of him. Absolutely. Craig Berube earned the benefit of the doubt from a lot of people with the way he constructed lines and the way he mixed and matched in the Blue Stanley Cup run, and we saw it again out of him last season. But he just seems to know his players on such an intimate level. He knows what makes them tick. He knows what some players' strengths are and how they will work well with others. He really finds a way to put together something, and the way he constructs it really does bring out the best in his guys. The Blues outshot Colorado 32-27 dominant first period in terms of hits and you would expect the Blues to out hit Colorado they were about even Colorado 21-20 and the Blues also because of the way they're built they're a puck possession team for the long haul they're going to need to win the faceoff battle last night Colorado won that as well 54-46 but at the end of the night it was the scoreboard that counted Blues win 4-1 and they play again tomorrow is this where we chant scoreboard (laughs) not yet yeah maybe maybe after tomorrow other big news from sports, we knew after yesterday that James Harden's days in Houston were not many. And yesterday afternoon, we got word that James Harden had been traded by Houston to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for four first-round picks, one of those coming from Cleveland, and four first-round swaps. The Rockets also get Victor Oladipo from Indiana, along with Dante Exum from Cleveland and Rodion's Curix from Brooklyn. The Pacers get Karis LeVert. And the Cavaliers get Jared Allen, who's kind of my favorite player in the league right now, and Tarian Prince. It's death, taxes, NBA stars getting moved in blockbuster trades. The NBA and the way that the drama never ends and the way that star players consistently are on the move and are pairing up with other guys and how the storylines continue is unmatched out of any other league. The fact that... As Adrian Wojnarowski said this morning, he uh, mentioned it on uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. He said, this was planned during the summer when Kevin Durant and James Harden were playing in L.A. If If you're James Harden, why not just get it over with? And if you're the Rockets, because you know, just like what happened with Anthony Davis in New Orleans, you know, and Kyrie Irving in Cleveland. If you have a disgruntled player, that player is not going to play for you. And he's as an owner, he's going to make your life miserable. So just rip the bandaid off and get rid of him. The players have all the power now in the NBA. We saw, which is mostly a, a tribute to LeBron James, yeah. who has changed the game in so many ways. But that is one really important way in which he's changed the NBA. But James Harden, through his actions, had been showcasing that he wanted to move. Mm -hmm. And I think he just had enough. And so he finally publicly said it. He pushed the Rockets into a corner. And while this is exciting on a lot of different levels, we need to pray for Steve Nash. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We really do. You have James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving all together. Good luck balancing those personalities and those egos. And Irving might not be long, even though he has a contract. I don't know who's going to take the contract. But he might not be long for that organization, at least on the court. And one of the advantages they have is that apparently one of the reasons Harden wanted to go to Brooklyn is because Mike D'Antoni is there as an assistant now. And D'Antoni and Harden had a great relationship. And Kevin Durant just wants to play and win. I don't think that there are any, unless you're a media member, I don't think there's any real issues with Kevin Durant in terms of playing basketball. No, but 
if you look back to his time with Golden State and the personalities that were on that team, it was more of Steve Kerr trying to keep them engaged because they were so good, but they were all relatively on the same page and they worked really well together. And now he's in a situation where his teammate is not there. He's on a Zoom for a political candidate. You have James Harden, who is going to come in with certainly ideas of his own. It's a completely different environment with another star-laden team for Kevin Durant. All right, we are in the midst of the the first part of the season. They played about a dozen games. We get to March 1st, and the Nets are home against Milwaukee. Let's just make Milwaukee the team. Okay. And they're down by a point with 13 seconds on the clock. You're Steve Nash in the huddle, and you have Kyrie Harden and Durant. Who's the play being called for? Who gets the ball? Yep. Great question. I think I'm going to kick it to KD. Me too. And I think Harden will be okay with that, but Kyrie won't. No, Kyrie didn't want to be second fiddle to LeBron. Exactly. He doesn't want to be third on the depth chart. Yeah. So I might even I might not even have Kyrie on the floor at that point. Just hey, deal with it. You have the contract. You go go do your political stuff. This is assuming that Kyrie shows up for the game. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Once again, if you uh, didn't stay up for the game, the Blues win it 4-1 over Colorado, and they will play again tomorrow night. What were our biggest takeaways from last night's Blues lid lifter? That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN on the heels of the morning after the Blues season opening 4-1 win over the Colorado Avalanche and a lot of good things to take out of this game, Michelle. Uh, I, I want to get your number one takeaway as you watched the game last night and then marinated on it overnight. And Michelle, by the way, did not go right to sleep afterward. I had no trouble uh, getting to sleep. <laughs> Michelle was still wired from the game. So she, she had plenty of time to think about it. I also had a coffee at 8 p.m. <laughs> So that contributed to me staying up. (laughs) But I was so excited to have Blues Hockey back. And as we talked about yesterday, I filled in on the first hour of the Rizzuto show yesterday. So I was up at 4.30. But we have waited a long time for Blues Hockey. I don't care if I'm on the struggle bus today. I was staying up to watch every minute of that game, and I'm so glad I did because what a performance by the Blues to open the season. It was fantastic. So what uh, was your number one takeaway? So many things, Randy, to take away from this game, but I think the first thing for me and something we haven't necessarily touched on so far during the show is how Jordan Bennington looked last night. Mm -hmm. He was a question a lot of people had heading into this 2021 season, and one of my takeaways from that game is if Jordan Bennington plays like that the majority of the season, the Blues are in pretty good shape. No doubt. And I thought the game changed, the momentum changed in the first minute of the second period. They get... Three shots on goal, two from Ranton and, and then one that wasn't as tough uh, on McCarr. But Ranton was from point-blank range. And Bennington made one of those classic Bennington-looking calm, incredible glove saves on him. He was fantastic. And that kind of goes into what I thought because the Blues, even though they took those two penalties, and it was just a weird first five minutes of the game. They took, take two penalties in the first five minutes of the game. They allow the goal. But then they got to their game. And that's one of the things that Barubi talks about is getting to our game quickly. And even when they weren't taking penalties, they were taking the play to Colorado. 
and they did throughout the first period. Outshot Colorado 17-5, to but more importantly, played the majority of that period when they had even strength in the offensive zone. They, they played like they did when they played in the playoffs a couple of years ago, and that was one thing that didn't happen last year against Vancouver in the playoffs. So I thought that was really important. They stressed that during training camp and played their, their tough, heavy offensive zone game. Another takeaway for me, Randy, was Craig Berube. And as we said last segment, the fact that he's a wizard when it comes to putting together the lines, he really knows how to put together lines that are balanced and that bring the best out of the guys that he has. But as a more general takeaway, as I'm watching that game last night and you see Kyle Clifford looking great, we know that Hoffman wasn't there, obviously, because of the visa issues and Sunquist was bumped up to that second line, which brings us to the original point about Craig Berube knowing what he's doing. But you see Tory Krug and the way that he's contributing. And I sat back for a second and I thought, how amazing is this that I have full confidence in every aspect of the powers that be with the St. Louis Blues, whether it's Craig Berube putting together the lines or, or extracting the best out of his players, or it's Doug Armstrong going out and getting guys like Tory Krug and Hoffman and Clifford mm-hmm. and knowing how to balance the personalities in the locker room and knowing when an Alex Petrangelo leaves that he's not going to get caught flat-footed, that he's going to bring in talent that makes the Blues perhaps even better than they were when Alex Petrangelo was on the team. And we talk a lot about the Cardinals and the state of the fan base and how the fans are really unhappy with a lot of the moves or lack Mm -hmm. of moves that the Cardinals have made and how they don't necessarily trust them to evaluate talent the way that they used to and how awesome it is to watch a Blues game and be able to watch a product like that when you lose so many veteran guys and they don't even miss a step. It really is remarkable when you think about the level of depth that the Blues have. And it's cool from a fan's standpoint. And they'll come out and tell you, Doug Armstrong says it all the time, we're one of the cap teams in the NHL. We are going to spend to the cap. And it's cool that they not only spend to the cap, but they're spending smartly. There aren't any Yuri Laterra or Patrick Berglund or Vladimir Sabok contracts on the books right now for the Blues. But one of the things about that depth is that we expect when they're a cap team that it's going to be Shen and O'Reilly and Schwartz and Pareko and Krug that score and that score goals. Well, none of the stars scored last night. It's pretty cool when you can win a game like that and win it handily like the Blues did, and you're getting a couple of goals from Sunquist. You're getting a goal from a fourth-liner like Clifford. You're getting a goal from a third-liner like Jordan Cairo, and ordinarily, obviously, uh, Oscar Sunquist is a fourth-line player. When you have a, enough depth that you can beat the team that is overwhelmingly favored to win the Stanley Cup and beat them handily and not get a goal from any of your top guys. And by the way, your two top goal scorers, without question, 91 and 68 are out. <laughs> Tarasenko and, and Hoffman are out. Yeah. And you still win 4-1. to one. That's very impressive. And just to piggyback off that, my final takeaway is similar but a little different. It was the youth movement that we are seeing. Did you say youth? The youths. I tweeted that last (laughs) night. The, The youths are coming out to play. 
But we do talk about the stars and how important they're going to be for this Blues team. But this team has such an interesting balance of veteran players who are established producers for this team and young players who are good but have a chance to be great. And to see Robert Thomas put his stamp already on a game like that last night. Oscar Sundquist certainly making his presence known and adapting to whatever is asked of him. A Jordan Cairo, who's 22, coming in and getting a goal for the Blues. They have such an interesting balance on this team, and if the young players can continue to do their job and ascend, you're going to see a lot of production from this and team. Thomas and Kairou are the big two, I think, yes. because those are the guys that have been talked about the most. Michelle, my final takeaway from last night is that the Blues did play that heavy game, but with not necessarily heavy players either. But Sunquist scores at 929 of the first. He's in close. He's below the, the circle. Kairou scores. He's below the circle. He's right there at the front of the net on the doorstep. Kyle Clifford snipes. He, he But he was uh, right between the circles. And then Sunquist last goal, below the circle, right there near the net. The Blues went to the net. They jostled the goalie for Colorado, Philip Grubauer. And that's how you score in today's NHL. The goalies are so good that it's really hard to score from distance. If you're a, a Tarasenko, you can do that. If you're an Ovechkin and you, and you have that shot, the one-timer, you can do that. Most players don't have the talent to score from distance. So what you have to do is get close to the net, block the goalie's vision, take away his eyes, as they say. And the Blues did that on three of their four goals, that was heartening for me to see as well. And that's something that they're going to have to do throughout the season because they don't, aside from Hoffman and when Vladdy comes back, they don't really have guys that are going to sharpshoot from distance. Doesn't it feel great to be so excited about Blues hockey again? It's awesome. It's (laughs) so great. Yeah. Everything about last night was great, and I hope that they can maintain the momentum. And that's one of the fun things about the way the schedule sets up, too. It's playoff hockey. It's it's the shortened schedule, but the intensity of playing Colorado again tomorrow night and both teams having the opportunity to make some adjustments. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be interesting to see how Colorado comes out versus the Blues after the game that we just saw last night. Yeah, and I wonder if they come back with Grubauer or do they go to Franku? When is the first time that we see Ville Husso between the pipes? Mm -hmm. Is Hoffman going to be able to get his work visa by tomorrow night? Uh, By the way... They, They have to know a guy, right? Oh, you, you would hope so, but I think <laughs> call. I think all the guys are changing at the moment, Michelle. Yeah, that's a good point. So, <laughs> They're a little busy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, let me get to uh, one quick tweet from last night before we uh, get to former NHL player, current NHL analyst, Scott Hartnell. And this comes from our own Jamie Rivers. Uh, he is <laughs> one of the co-hosts. Did you see this? I saw it. Uh, Rivers is so funny. Yeah. Co-host of the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Last night, uh, obviously, the Blues, we we find out er, uh, before the game that Mike Hoffman is not going to be available. And Jamie Rivers, with the quote tweet, says, Been there, buddy. Let's not hope it's not three months, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the Blues' sake and for our sake, let's hope it's not that long. Yeah, Jamie had those same issues, and <laughs> so, it took three months. So funny. Coming up, Scott Hartnell of NHL Network joins us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Character. It is 
7.33 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and NHL Network Analyst Scott Hartnell, kind enough to join us on this morning after the NHL's opening night. Scott, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, Pat. No problem at all. It's fun. Well, let's start with this. The Blues start off with a victory against Colorado last night, and we were, we've were we been talking during our show about how this kind of looked like, even though with all the turnover, the Blues that won the Stanley Cup. What are your impressions of, obviously, early in this new season, the Blues? Yeah, they looked solid last night. Uh, you know, watching the highlights this morning, uh, uh, Oscar Sundquist, who, who was very instrumental in the Cup run, Two years ago, just had a heck of a game and a great start to the season. Uh, uh, Jaden Schwartz looks solid. Uh, um, just a just a big team, a heavy team, and uh, they had their uh, legs under him last night. Scott, you mentioned Oscar Sundquist, and Craig Berube is incredible when he puts together the lines for the Blues. With Hoffman having the visa issues, he bumps Sundquist up to that second line, and he really, it paid off for the Blues. What's your impressions of Craig Berube in his time as the Blues head, head coach? Obviously, they won the Stanley Cup, but it just seems as more of a bigger picture that he really knows how to extract the best out of his guys. Yeah, well, I, he was... Uh, I, he was my assistant coach for maybe five years. And then the head coach, uh, when Laviolette got fired for, for one year before I got traded to Columbus and, uh, you know, being an assistant coach is more obviously in tune with the players talking to him. And, uh, you know, I think when he went and became the head coach, there was no difference with that. So he has that communication, that, um, bond between the players, uh, you know, obviously it helped that he played over a thousand games as well. And, um, you know, he's not strict, but he's funny. He can, you know, uh, touch guys differently than I think, uh, you know, maybe then a John Tortorella who will just, you know, kind of hammer down on guys. So uh, he does get the uh, best out of uh, uh, his players. And, you know, when things happen and guys get hurt or a visa issue like last night with Hoffman, uh, he knows the right guys to plug in. And, uh, you know, you have to respond. And Oscar did a great job to uh, last night doing that. So now he's got uh, maybe a tough decision when he does come back to, to maybe uh, plug Hoffman in somewhere else. I, I would think, Scott, another thing about Chief is that he's just so – so raw when he talks to you as a player you know exactly where you stand there's a lot of coaches where there's maybe some gray area about where you stand but blues players to a man say hey when he tells you something you know that it's the truth well that's that's the way i think every coach should be you know Mm -hmm. that uh, tiptoe around and uh you know kind of you know tell you something but not tell you exactly what he's looking for uh with chief uh um, you know, it's black and white, right? And uh, if you're playing the right way, you're going to get your ice time. You're going to get your power play time. You're going to, you know, be there in the last minute of periods, which every hockey player wants to be that that guy that uh, uh, he can count on. And uh, if you're not doing the job, you're not going to be out there. And that's just uh, um, a great way to, you know, set the tone. Uh, obviously, in the training camp, it's that was 10 days, and and uh, you know, I think everyone was touting that the, the Avalanche were going to be the team to beat this year, and and uh, St. Louis made them look a little silly last night. Scott, yeah, as you said, most people think Colorado is the team to beat this year. Most people pick them to win the Stanley Cup. When you look at the way that that team is built, what do you think is the thing that could stop them from getting there? Uh, well, they've done a great job of building, you know, through their draft picks. Uh, their defense are uh, young, they're mobile, they're up the ice. Uh, you know, maybe they're lacking a little bit of that physicality that uh, St. Louis brings. You know, I think. Uh, uh, most of the Blues guys, defensemen, forwards included, uh, you know, they're heavy. They finish their checks. And, you know, McKinnon's not going to go on a forecheck and try and run someone through the boards and, and get the puck that way. He's going to use it to, um, you know, to go around a guy and, and protect the puck that way. So uh, you look at maybe playoff hockey, 
uh, they might, uh, you know, shy away from a big team like St. Louis. And that's, uh, you know, that's just a, a, a great compliment to, to the Blues organization. Scott Hartnell of NHL Network joining us here on 101 ESPN. Scott, The Athletic did a piece the other day talking to coaches and GMs and rating the goalies, and they had Jordan Biddington in the middle of the pack. As a guy who played for a long time in the league, and you look around the league now, how do you regard Jordan Biddington? Well, (laughs) two years ago, he was unbelievable, unbeatable. Uh, You could use a lot of different adjectives with him. And, you know, last year might have been a little bit of an off year, uh, coming off that great run that he had. But, um, you know, would I put him in the top four or five of, of the league? Probably not, but he'd be inside my probably top ten of, of goalies. But uh, it, it's weird, uh, you know, talking with Kevin Weeks, uh, you know, a great goaltender back in the day and uh, just a great analyst. And, I, and I'm like, how come there's not more Vasilevskis and Pekarines and, you know, Jonathan Quick when he was, uh, you know, uh, five, six years ago, like there's not those elite, elite guys where you do have all these elite forwards and elite defensemen. And, you know, there is only a handful of guys that are, are total game changers, you know? So it, it's just, a, um, I don't know if it's coaching or what it is. And it's just, it was, we kind of couldn't really find an answer why that is. But um, if you got a goaltender that can keep you in games and, <clears throat> you know, make the saves, obviously that they should be making and some that they shouldn't be making, uh, you're going to give yourselves a chance to win every night, and and uh, Jordan does uh, exactly that. Scott, speaking of game changers, that's certainly something that Vladimir Tarasenko has been during his career. And as I'm watching this Blues team last night, that thought starts to creep into my mind. What will happen when you add a finally healthy again Vladimir Tarasenko to this group? But heartache always comes from expectations. And so I don't know if I should ever expect Vladimir Tarasenko to be a guy that can come back and change the structure of a game the way that he used to. I know every injury is different and every player is different, but if you were somebody in the Blues front office, would you ever expect Vladimir Tarasenko to be a difference maker on this team again? Yeah, well, uh, he's got the skill, he's got the determination, he's got that uh, that drive to take pucks to the net, and uh, he wants that puck on a stick to to make plays. And you know, it's the, you know those players are few and hard, far uh, far between. Um, you know, every team has doesn't have a Quadru or a Sydney or a. Um, Nick David, you know, that uh, Tarasenko wants that stick. He wants to be the guy. And, yeah, unfortunately, he's been a, a little banged up. And um, that's a good thing to have when you got uh, guys that can fill those holes with him. And, um, you know, when he comes back, that you know, they're going to have to make decisions whether they want to, you know, keep him and, and use him. But they're, it seems that they're doing the uh, a great job the last couple of years uh, when he hasn't been in the lineup, which is huge. Scott, when we started the show this morning, we talked about how exciting it is to have hockey back in mid-January. How much did you miss it? <laughs> a lot. It's 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 weird. You, you grow up uh, your whole life playing, right? And you know, I I turned pro when I was eighteen with Nashville, and you know, the seventeen years I was playing every Saturday night almost uh, through the winter and into the spring. And you know, when there's you know, obviously the pandemic and uh, the bubble last year was it was fun to watch and you know hockey every night and yeah you know then you go on pause for another few months and it's it's you know it's cold outside you you're just wishing to watch something on TV right and uh, so now we have this distraction uh, this entertainment and you know the you know all the games last night was uh, uh, they were exciting to watch and uh, it's just it's, it's in your blood if you have that uh, if people say oh, I can't follow hockey on TV it's it's too quick I can't follow the puck well. 
you know, wait, wait till you're able to go go to a game and actually see it live, and and just it, it's it's just ingrained in you after that. So, uh, I, I talking to my parents, they they're like they're happier than uh, you know what. <laughs> uh, just being able to watch hockey from you know three o'clock in the afternoon till they go to bed at uh, ten o'clock. So it was uh, it's just a good thing we got going on. Scott, before we let you go, we know you do work with the Flyers, so we wanted to ask you a question about them. How about Nolan Patrick? He comes out last night. He scores his first goal in an NHL game in 652 days. He missed all of last season dealing with that migraine disorder. He could be a huge asset for this team. So what did it mean to see him out there scoring again, and what could he do to help this Flyers team? Well, it just gives him such depth down the middle. Uh, you got Sean Couturier, uh, Kevin Hayes, who they brought in last year, who's having a uh, another uh, good start to his season this year. And obviously, Claude Giroux on the wing. He used to be a top centerman. Now he's on the wing uh, uh, on that uh, Hayes line. And you slot him and uh, Nolan Patrick into the, the third line center. You get your, he's flanked by JVR, which is uh, you know a $7 million guy in the NHL. And Jake Vorchek is an $8 million guy that can move and skate. And, uh, you know, they had some in- instant chemistry last night. They were cycling and uh, just looked like they were having a lot of fun out there. So. Uh, it just it just brings everybody into their rank in the lineup. You got Scotty Lawton on the fourth line, who is always you know the last couple of years he's been a third line player. So it just gives them that depth and and uh, you know obviously being a, a high drift draft pick a few years ago um, with a lot of uh, expectations, uh, he's looking to have a big year just to uh, uh, just for himself to just be like I can't play in this league, I can stay healthy, I can be the man that uh, everyone thought I thought I can be. And, uh, you know, he proved it last night with a uh, nice little tip off his button in. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Hartnell, we love the work that you guys do at NHL Network. Have fun with the Flyers pre and post this year. Appreciate the time Thank and you. have a great season. No problem, guys. Yeah, take care. You too. Bye. Scott Hartnell of NHL Network joining us here on 101 ESPN. Does a great job. We saw a lot of him. As you mentioned, he started his career with the Nashville Predators in the early part of the century and was always kind of a thorn in the blue side. But now he's a good guy. Yeah, now we like him. Yeah, he's, he's on our side. Coming up, <laughs> get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We're going to play Take It or Leave It next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. We do appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, that bastion of journalism, TMZ, reporting that 41-year-old Lamar Odom has signed a deal with Celebrity Boxing. And he'll step into the ring on June 12th at the Showboat Casino in Atlantic City. Hmm. Take it or leave it, you're kind of rooting for Lamar to get pummeled. I think I'm going to take it. I am too. I think that would be epic, actually. He's been through a lot. Yeah, but he didn't bring any of it on himself. I mean, going to the bunny ranch and having a mound of cocaine with five prostitutes. They don't call themselves prostitutes. I shouldn't have said that. What's the correct term? Um, Escorts? Well, I don't know. I guess they don't really escort you anywhere. Company? 
Uh, that, yeah, company, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that the politest way to say escort <laughs> yeah. is company? Let's see what they, uh, uh, we have to find out here what the Bunny Ranch refers them to, uh, refers to them as. Let's see, the Moonlight Bunny Ranch. See, it's a licensed brothel, so it's nothing illegal or illicit. Well, maybe some illicit stuff going on. So it's licensed, so they they don't have to. They can call themselves company. It's a house of prostitution. That's so what it says? They're prostitutes, yeah. On their own website? No, this is on the uh, Wikipedia, the number two bastion of uh, journalism, Wikipedia page. Let's see. I don't know if the Bunny Ranch is still around. I think. Because the guy died. Our IT department may be getting some sounders that you're looking up the Bunny Ranch on oh, the corporate computers. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I do know that Nevada has allowed prostitution there. So I'm going to go and uh, go ahead and say they're prostitutes. So anyway, that's where he was at one time. And now he's back in shape to box, apparently. Well, good, is. good for him that he's healthy and that he's taking care of himself yeah. allegedly enough to get to a position physically that he could even compete in something like this because for a while there, he was really struggling. He really was. And it was kind of funny. Okay, take it or leave it. You are surprised that the Bunny Ranch is rated on Yelp. (laughs) I'm going to take that. (laughs) Can you imagine a patron leaving the Bunny Ranch and saying, you know what I need to do? Review this on Yelp. I need to let my fellow citizens know what my experience was like at the Bunny Ranch. Oh, man. Here's Are somebody. there photos? Uh, they do have photos. Oh, wow. Uh, they, uh, Blair M. from Victoria, Canada, only gave the Bunny Ranch two stars. Whoa. Two years ago, I went to see Ruby Ray. She is a very beautiful <laughs> lady. I scheduled a flight and did a deposit with her. She over doubled the price than I thought. And when I got there, will not work with you, even if you come a long distance to get there. I had $600 US, but her prices were $1,500 for 15 minutes. That's stupid. How a normal working man can afford that, that is the last time I will come to the Bunny Ranch again. But he still gave him two stars. (laughs) Still got two stars. I also want to drill in on she won't work with you. What does that mean? I'm thinking that she won't negotiate, that that $1,500 is non-negotiable. You come with $600 and she says, take a hike, buddy. So it's strictly price and not preference that she's unwilling to work with you on. Okay. Now, uh, another patron from San Antonio, Texas gave five stars All right. and said, one of the finest places you'll ever eat out ever. Excellent service and very consumer conscious. Clean, friendly, and reasonably priced. Great bar. Oh, they serve food there. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a campus, apparently. Not that I've ever been there. <laughs> yeah, how do you know? <laughs> what was that uh, bunny's name? Ruby Ray? Yeah, Ruby Ray. Very beautiful lady. Ruby Ray. Can you imagine how furious Ruby Ray is when she sees she's being directly called out on Yelp? This is transactional. This is she was called very beautiful, and apparently somebody thinks she's worth the fifteen hundred fifteen hundred bucks for fifteen minutes. Well, I guess that's about right. Is it? I don't know the going rate for company. I don't either. But who's going to be around that for more than fifteen? What guy is going to be around for more than fifteen minutes? It's just it's not going to happen. Take it or leave it. Move on to the next one. That's true. Take it or leave it. No one goes to the Bunny Ranch. And only partakes in the food. I'll take that. Yeah, so, so that's pretty in, 
interesting that this Yelper would make a review strictly about the food. (laughs) Right. Five stars, too. If you went to the Bunny Ranch and your big takeaway was that the buffet was great, you probably didn't do it right. (laughs) That's true. If your Yelp review is about the chicken, it's probably not what you should have been focused on there. Uh, Bunny Ranch on the morning on 101 ESPN. (laughs) Our show's for the kids, Rand. It's it's for the kids. Okay, well, I'm going to bring it back around to hockey. We have a bunch of TVs here in the studio. We watch ESPN. There's SportsCenter up. We looked up. And the Sports Center top 10 was on. We only caught the top five. So this could have been in the bottom five. But take it or leave it. If it wasn't in the bottom five, that play that Robert Thomas made to set up Sonny on the first goal last night should have been on Sports Center's top 10. I will take that. Absolutely. He does magical things with the puck. And there's no doubt that on NHL Network that this morning. That like sounds bu- like a bunny ranch Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> Magical. Yeah. No, he's great. And that should have been a top 10, no doubt about it. <laughs> By the way, a lot of five-star reviews. Congratulations. What's your overall rating for the bunny ranch on Yelp? Scroll up here. Very curious. Uh, overall? They are a three and a half stars overall. Three and a half? Yeah. Must be pretty good. Well, based on the prices, I wonder if the quality of service is up it to must, what they're demanding financially. Must be fantastic, yeah. Three and a half? I thought it'd be better. Oh, yeah, yeah you would think so. But yeah, 1500 bucks for 15 minutes, you're going to get a selection of people that say, oh, it's not worth it because it, there's no way it could ever be worth it. There's no way it could ever live up to $100 a minute. $100 a minute? Yeah. You are committing <laughs> you are open 24 hours. Uh, Tanner, what do you got for us? All right. So the big news out of the NBA yesterday, the James Harden trade, take it or leave it. The Pacers are actually the big winner of this. I'm going to take that. Uh, Karis LeVert's numbers are very comparable to Victor Oladipo's. I think Oladipo this year was averaging 20 and over the last couple of years, Oladipo is averaging about a point more per game and they're even in rebounds. So for the price and production, I'm going to say that the Pacers do come out of this uh, as winners because Oladipo didn't want to be around there anymore anyway. His contract was up at the end of the year, so the Pacers had a time crunch there. They needed to figure out something to do, and this was a really good opportunity for them, and they capitalized on it. So according to reports, Urban Meyer is finalizing a deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Take it or leave it. He'll go 8-8 in his first season. Ooh, after that's, one and 15. That's a really good one. I'm going to leave it. Yeah, I'll leave it too. I don't think they have enough good players. Maybe he could get them up, coach them up to six and 10 or something like that. But And their quarterback situation was horrendous. But it's this is pretty good. Hmm? It's going to be pretty good once Urban takes over. It was. But yeah, it's going to be fine. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. That, He's going to yeah, be they, in a they, better spot. They can easily win five more games. But this is an organization three years ago. They had six Pro Bowl defensive players. None of them are with the organization anymore. It's just unbelievable how messed up they are. Life comes at you fast. Yeah. I mean, how do you not try to make Jalen Ramsey happy? How, how good is he? Pretty good. From the 573, take it or leave it. Hoffman has to earn his spot back in the top six from Sonny. I think I'll leave that. Give that, give that to me one more time. 
Take it or leave it. Hoffman has to earn his spot back in the top six and take it back from Sonny. Yeah, I'm going to leave that too. I I don't think just because he had a visa issue and Sonny had uh, an amazing night that they're not going to give him that opportunity. No. From the 314, take it or leave it. Robert Thomas is the Blues' best setup man since Pierre Tur- Turgeon. That's an interesting one. And I think... As, as good as Pierre was, I'm, I can't put Thomas there yet. As a matter of fact, I don't think I can put Thomas ahead of O'Reilly yet. I think he has a chance to be really good, but I, I, I just don't think he's there yet. But he has a chance to be that guy. Doug Waite was pretty good as a setup man. O'Reilly pretty good as a setup man. The Blues have not, despite all the goal scoring they've had, they haven't really had that great center. I think Pavel Dimitra... And they were about the same time. Dimitra and Turgeon was as effective in that role as Pierre was. From the 636, take it or leave it. Staying up late for a hockey game is way easier than staying up for a late baseball game. Oh, no doubt about it. Take it. Take it. You get adrenaline from a hockey game. Absolutely. Yeah. The, The pace of the game makes it much easier to stay up. Definitely. From the 618, take it or leave it. Should we be disappointed at all from the first line's production last night? I I will leave that. I'm going to say no, we shouldn't. Because they did what they needed to do. They spent a lot of time on the ice against that top line of Colorado. And they were terrific defensively. And Colorado didn't get on the board. They did. And I'm going to leave it too because you don't rely on that top line to to win games for you. Certainly you want them to produce. But isn't that the beauty of this Bulls team is that they are so balanced and that they come at you wave after wave. Yeah. And that it is various lines that could make you pay. And you know over the course of 56 games that that number one line is going to be your number one line. Absolutely. Thanks, Tanner. Thank you. Coming up this weekend, the Cardinals have their virtual winter warm-up. You can learn more about that at cardinals.com. And Greg Amsinger is going to be involved. We'll ask him about his involvement with the Cardinals winter warm-up and about the big trade. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Smallman and the great Greg Amzinger of MLB Network joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Of course, you can watch Greg on MLB tonight. You can uh, know that he is from St. Louis. He's a product of the Lindenwood University. And this weekend, you can see Greg virtually. He's going to be involved with the Cardinals winter warm-up. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm still enjoying the afterglow of an amazing opening night performance from our St. Louis Blues. I watched every minute. Um, it was a dominant victory against a great team. Could not start the season any better. Isn't it fun to to be in the sports realm in the Northeast? And Michelle did this when she was up in Bristol at ESPN. And have the Blues be as dominant as they are, especially because you're in the same building as NHL Network, right? So it's got to yeah. be pretty cool to have the Blues be as good as they are. It's so funny. I, I'm total fanboy when I see, like, you know, Kevin Weeks walk around. I'm like, hey, what do you think of my blues? When I see Scott Stevens. I like, I, I don't even know what to, I still want to ask him for his autograph. It's like, there's certain guys that I'm just so geeked out for. But I love the separation. There was talk when the NHL network uh, merged with us and, and we kind of oversee the production value of it. And uh, our, our production staff has done an amazing job at the NHL network. There's, there were talks that I had with my agents and, and uh, the network that maybe I could cross over and do both. 
I'm so glad I didn't do that because Randy, I like just being a, just a fan of one of my favorite sports. So growing up, and I'm sure Joe Buck is the same way. I think uh, when it comes to this, yep. just not covering the Blues, I just get to just be totally over the top bias about the Blues, which is what I need <laughs> to still have in my life. Absolutely, Greg. Glad you still have that. Okay, so I want to read you a tweet from your colleague at MLB Network, John Heyman. He says, quote, Yadier Molina would be a bigger loss for the Cardinals than maybe even they realize, end quote. And this was from a National League scout on Yadier Molina as a free agent. Agree or disagree with that sentiment? Totally agree, without a doubt. One of the things I'm going to be doing with the Cardinal uh, virtual caravan, on Monday I'm going to interview the entire starting rotation with Mike Maddox, the pitching coach. So that's tricky during a Zoom call, so we're going to make sure that isn't clunky. Uh, But the reason this is a big deal to me is the Cardinals are the favorites right now in the NL Central with or without Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. The reason they're the favorites is because of their pitching, the combination of the rotation and their bullpen better than any other team in that division. Now, if you add Yadier Molina to what the Cardinals currently have, they are the heavy, heavy favorite to win and with his experience have a legitimate chance at hanging with any of the teams in the NL East or even the Los Angeles Dodgers or the San Diego Padres. People don't want to wrap their minds around that. Like they're just waving the white flag before the season starts. If you just add Molina to a staff that's as talented as the Cardinals have, it really is that much of a difference. Uh, Is it like adding Blake Snell and you Darvish? No, totally get that. But in his postseason series, Yadier Molina is Tom Brady in a two-minute drill. It's just the same kind of impact. Can't put your finger on why. There's no stat to tell you what instincts deliver, but he's that important. I completely agree. So with that being said then, what should our disappointment level be that this isn't done because it appears that it's just a financial issue here. He wants to come back. They want him. So it seems to be only about money. It, 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 that's what it's seems to be, uh, but it's also an opportunity for a front office to move on. And it's always a a tricky thing uh, to not have a star fall on you. And we love our stars. I am completely biased for my favorite players, Yadier Molina being one of them, that I'd rather lose with him than win without him. That's how I feel. I felt that way about Pools. I'd rather lose with him than win without him. I don't care that Tampa Bay Rays went to the World Series. Forbes just gave the market value of every thir- of all 30 Major League Baseball franchises. They went down in value. They went down after they went to the World Series because no one hangs their hat on players there. It's still an entertainment product. And the Cardinals have done such a great job towing the balance there of being competitive and yet honoring the stars that people can walk around with Yadier and Molina jerseys at, inside Bush Stadium. It means something to Cardinal fans and their players. So I feel like with the moves that have been made and some of the moves that were not made that the Cardinals have made mistakes on recently, we can go in the laundry list of them, but I'm not going to. Uh, I think giving a two-year deal to a catcher that's pushing 40 looks like uh, the wrong move. Uh, on paper, it seems like the wrong move to a, to a front office that's trying to be cutting edge and with the times. So because of COVID, this gives them that opportunity. It gives them the excuse. It just does. It gives them the excuse to move on. And we'll see if they take it. 
Gray, I want to ask you about an article I was reading this morning on ESPN.com. It was actually a year ago yesterday that Rob Manfred released his findings about the Houston Astros and announced their punishment for the the Stein, excuse me, the sign stealing scandal. It's a year later. We've had a lot happen in the world with the pandemic. We've had a full truncated season of baseball. But how do you view those players in that organization right now, a year later? It's a great question. I feel like the jury's still out on many of them. Uh, George Springer's about to get handsomely paid. One team we know that won't do that is the Houston Astros. Uh, they're kind of going in one direction. Um, that said, this is a team that has enough talent to get back to the postseason and arguably win it. I mean, Justin Berlander comes back at some point. Uh, this team has a lot of great players. So, what do I think of Jose Altuve? Do I think his, his career has been scarred? Man, I can't get the image out of my head when he was rounding third base after he hit the bomb on an off-speed pitch from a, a guy that throws 104 miles an hour, rolled his Chapman, when he was clinching his jersey, saying, no, 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 don't rip this off of me. And then he ran right down into the, into the clubhouse immediately after he hit the walk-off home run to knock the Yankees out of the postseason. Uh, I can't get that image out of my head. I can't get the image out of poor Dusty Baker being dragged to the podium to talk about this stuff right after they hired him. Like, what? Why would you do that? He had nothing to do with it. And then you got uh, Alex Bregman, who we all thought was one of the great players that, of this generation. He's going to be one of the faces of the game so much better than the guy that was drafted in front of him, Dansby Swanson. Man, he was so much better than that guy. Look, let's look at what they just both of them did in 2020. Dansby Swanson was a better player than Alex Bregman. So we don't know what kind of player Bregman is. We just don't. So if there's one positive I take away from it is we, we kind of know who, who still wants to fight, who, who actually believes in their skills. Carlos Correa is, is a guy. He's a leader to me. Carlos Correa became the, the bodyguard of Altuve and Bregman and Springer and all the guys that were getting slacked. He became the vocal leader of that team, and his stock went way up. We've got this huge free agent class of shortstops coming up at the end of the year. He's towards the top of the list because of the way he performed and led a Houston Astros team that had a losing record into the postseason. It is interesting, Greg, though, the, even when we include Correa. And I, I'm willing to give players, because last season was weird, I'm, I'm willing to give players the benefit of the doubt. But for that 2020-2020 season, it is what it is. Only eight players in Major League Baseball had a lower OPS than Jose Altuve. Only 10 had a lower OPS than Yuli Gurriel. Out of 142 eligible hitters, you look at Josh Reddick at number 120 in terms of OPS. You look at Carlos Correa at number 111. There was a pretty substantial drop-off for that offense without the apparent ability to take advantage of the cheating. Well, uh, my friend Harold Reynolds said something that, you know, what I thought was eye-opening. Now, if you take a look at their offensive numbers, Randy, once the postseason started, things changed. They all hit. They all played much better. They all did. And Harold's thought on that was it, it, it changes your mentality when you know you're not going to get hit with a baseball. And I was like, wait a minute. They collectively thought the entire regular season they were about to get drilled. He said, absolutely. And let me tell you, I was in spring training a year ago with this team, and I've been to many, many more funerals that were more fun than going to spring training with Houston Astros last year. It was terrible. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced in sports. 
it, no one was smiling. It, it was awful. It was, it was as if it was like uh, a bomb went off, and everyone was just wondering how many people were wounded. It was just crazy. So they didn't want to play. They were the bad guys. They were the villains. Uh, some thought it was just. Some thought it was unjust. And the, the, the clubhouse was fractured. It was a mess. So I think there was something to what Harold said. That idea that they're coming after us, any pitch could be coming at my head. At any given point of this game, a pitch could be coming at my head. Once that went away, we saw the Astros play like the Astros in October, and they almost went to the World Series. Hey, one more thing. It was after we got off the air last week, and we had already talked to you that the Francisco Lindor trade broke. You look at the Mets now, and I, I want two things. I want the read that you're getting up in the New York metropolitan area about that trade in the Mets, and I want you to know to tell us if they need anything else to be great. Well, they're going to have to do something uh, to add to their bullpen, if you ask me. They're going to have to get more consistency in the pen. There are plenty of arms. Hendricks to the White Sox, take him out of there. But uh, they're going to add one or two more pieces to that bullpen. Uh, the starting rotation, because of what Noah Syndergaard could be at some point this year, makes me think they're not going to be as aggressive and go get power. But do you know what this comes down to, guys? It comes down to an owner that likes doing this. Steve Cohen is excited to own a baseball team. Yes, amidst COVID. I'm sure he didn't make a ton of money during the, during the pandemic. It, it's hard to do that. Everyone took a hit. This guy wants to own a baseball team, not to complain about how expensive it is, but to win a championship and to kind of be a fanboy about it. He brought a superstar to New York. And it gets me to the analogy I keep bringing up. If the windows are bothering you, if the roof has a leak and you want to complain about it the entire time, sell the house. Sell it. <laughs> There's someone out there willing to buy it and fix it up. I'm tired of feeling bad for owners. It's not the way the game should be operated. This is a dude that wants to own a baseball team, and he's going to continue to bring in stars because he wants to win. He's a fan. It's why I'm on the phone with you right now, because I'm a fan. I love baseball. And those are the kind of people that should be owning Major League Baseball teams. Great answer. Great stuff as always. Greg Amsinger will host a panel discussing the role of the starting pitchers with the Cardinals this weekend. Pitching coach Mike Maddox and the entire rotation. And you can get involved by going to cardinals.com slash WWU. That's winter, winter warm-up. Just go to the Cardinals website and you can hear Greg as he talks to all of those starting pitchers. I'm, I'm going to be watching and listening. You know, I'm not shocked by that, Randy, because you are just the most loyal Cardinal fan. And I, and I love the Cardinals, but no one is more loyal than you, my friend. I, you, I, I got to believe you played every round of golf with some sort of Cardinal logo on you. Whether it's a golf shirt, a golf hat, golf, uh, golf belt, you have a Cardinal logo on you at all times. It's a wonderful thing. I do. You're exactly right. Yeah, when I'm out <laughs> on the course, there's, uh, there's plenty of Cardinal items in my bag. You're 100% right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love you, man. Hey, you're the best. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, guys. See you, Greg. The great Greg Amsinger of MLB Network. Does he know you have a blues golf bag, though? He does. Yeah, okay. we've played enough so that he's well aware of that. But, yeah, I, I have uh, things like uh, I, I have turf tools and things like that with the Cardinal logo. If you go through my bag, I, you can find 10 Cardinal things, no doubt about it. Do you have Mizzou stuff, too? I have a Mizzou club head cover, but I don't use it on a regular basis. I should probably. We need to get you some STL City SC stuff to put in your golf bag, oh, too. Oh, yeah, we'll get it. 
yeah. and Battlehawks yeah. when they return. So my friend Chris Muir, at, and we were together, I think. No, you were gone because I did your show at ESPN when the Rams left. I had a Rams bag. And the day after, maybe two days after the Rams moved, when I got back from Houston, I think it was the 14th. Rams moved on January 12th, which, by the way, a couple of days was the anniversary and went right over our head, which is great. But uh, we're doing a remote. The fast lane is doing a remote over at the Golf Discount on Manchester. And Chris Muir, my buddy, he's still with Golf Discount, gives me a call and he says, hey, I know that we've got you in that Rams bag and I know that you don't want to be pissed off while you're out on the golf course. So <laughs> why don't you bring that in and we'll trade it in for a Blues or a Cardinals bag when you come in for the show. And I said, okay, great. And the Blues bag is beautiful. I love it. So that was the deal I made. And Golf Discount still has these incredible Blues and Cardinals bags available when you walk in the store. They're fantastic. But that's how I wound up with my Blues bag. I started with a Rams bag. I was loyal there. But uh, Blues bag now. Did yeah. you burn the Rams bag? No, I just traded it in. Oh, you traded it and in. Did they have, burn it? <laughs> he, he may have. I Because uh, it was a St. Louis Rams bag. There was no use for it. Okay, I need your ruling on this. Okay. I went into a deli the other day to get some pasta salad. And I look up on the wall, and there's only one piece of sports memorabilia in the place. And it's a Rams Super Bowl championship flag. Is that allowed? Yeah, that's fine. That's okay. fine. I have greatest show on turf stuff in my house. I felt a certain type of way about it. At first, I thought, ew, get that off the wall. And then I thought, well, they're our team. The greatest show on turf is our team. They, they are. And generally, the guys from the greatest show on turf, they aren't big fans of the whole Cronky thing. They loved Georgia. They loved us. They mm-hmm. loved Vermeil. They loved St. Louis. They're St. Louis Rams. So, yeah, if the deli has... A Super Bowl champions flag. Anything from that year is absolutely fine in my book. But anything beyond 2001, yeah, don't especially 2005 when Georgia died. Yeah. Or 2007, I guess. Yeah, you don't. And he was, that guy was in charge from like 2005 on. You don't want any of that. And there's no reason to have it anyway. Yeah, they weren't very good. <laughs> Nothing much to celebrate during that era. And you're right. Can you believe that the anniversary passed and we didn't even bat an eye? Yeah, five-year anniversary. Five-year anniversary of the team being ripped from our city and we didn't even bat an eye. Yeah, we're over it. It's because we were focused on blues hockey. Blues hockey. Speaking of the blues, what sort of a statement did their defense make last night against the Avalanche? That's coming your way with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. the urge. Hey. Hey. Blues win last night 4-1 over the Colorado Avalanche in the season opener. The Blues got off to a good start if you just look at the start as the entire first period. It was not great early when they took the two penalties and they allowed a power play goal, but they wound up out shooting Colorado 17-5, Michelle, in the first period. And then Colorado got a little bit desperate after the Blues took the 2-1 lead. Colorado out shooting the Blues 15-6 in the second, and then the Blues with a 9-7 advantage in the third. But there were a couple of things that came into play. Number one, that dominant first period where the Blues maintained possession of the puck a lot in the offensive zone. And then the other thing, as you mentioned earlier, was how great Jordan Bennington was. Staff 26 of 27 shots. When that first goal went in, I think a lot of people in St. Louis might have 
let their shoulders slump a little. They thought, wow, this Colorado team favored to win the Stanley Cup by a lot of pundits out there. Jordan Bennington, a question mark for a lot of people heading into this season. They come out, score that first goal quickly. But Jordan Bennington responded. He looked great the rest of the game. As I said, stopped 26 of 27 shots. And the Blues defense looked so sharp. They were able to contain the speed of this Colorado team. And Nathan McKinnon, not really even a factor in that game last night. I wasn't even worried on the power play when Colorado was on the power play about Nathan McKinnon. That's how much the Blues bottled him up and killed three of four Colorado power plays. And that's the key. If you can start with McKinnon, and granted, they have a lot of other really good offensive players, but if you can somewhat hold McKinnon in check, you have a chance against Colorado because he is the the centerpiece. He is the guy that everything else in their universe revolves around. We walked away from that game last night feeling good about every facet of this Blues team. That was the beauty of the game last night. Didn't score a power play goal. Oh, okay. So we're disappointed. Over two on the power play. We're disappointed in that. But I still have faith in that power play. I do too. That they're going to be a lethal component to this Blues team. But aside from that, you walked away feeling great about their offensive production. You walked away feeling great about their depth, the defense, the goaltending. There really wasn't any aspect of this Blues team other than the fact that they were over two on the power play that you walked away from that game last night wanting more the other aspect to this and I couldn't agree with you more but the fact that they were so effective five on five the only goal they allowed was Mm -hmm. when they were on the penalty kill but the Blues were able to handle the avalanche five on five and ultimately when the Blues have won in the past it's because of their great five on five play now their special teams now are really special i think this power play has a chance to be a difference maker but you're going to play generally 48 50 minutes a game at even strength and the blues need to be great five on five that's how they use the depth and that's how they keep coming at you wave after wave and so to be able to be that effective five on five was a real benefit for them it certainly was and circling back to jordan bennington I wonder if we're going to be able to see that consistently from him this season. The Blues need him to be that strong consistently this season. But it seems like he had a chip on his shoulder Mm -hmm. heading into this year. He didn't want to talk about the bubble. He only wanted to reference the Stanley Cup championship and the success they had prior. I think he knew that a lot of people were questioning him. I, I don't think that he was pleased with his performance in the bubble or the team's performance in the bubble. And an angry Jordan Bennington, Jordan Bennington, as we've mentioned on the show, is a positive thing for the Blues. So I love to see him come out and look so sharp last night. The most notable answer he ever has given in his career was to Jim Thomas when he said, do I look nervous? Right. And there were times last year in the bubble where I I won't say he looked nervous, but he looked stressed. The last time we saw Jordan Bennington, Michelle, against Vancouver, August 21st, he played 28 minutes and six seconds and he was pulled after allowing four goals on 18 shots. I didn't think last night that he looked stressed and he never made me feel stressed as (laughs) a Blues fan. He looked like he had everything under control. Confident in himself, confident in his abilities. And when Colorado, who's a very, very good team, comes out and they score that first goal early, it could have gone one of two ways. And he shook it off. He had a short memory and had a strong game after that. The Blues are at Colorado again tomorrow, 8 o'clock with... 
the face-off, 7 o'clock with the pregame here on 101 ESPN. Then they're home for four at Enterprise Center next Monday and Wednesday against San Jose. And then Friday the 23rd and 24th, back-to-backs against the Kings. And I would think, Michelle, that the 23rd or the 24th, that'll be the first time that we see Billy Husso. I'm, I'm guessing that Bennington plays the every-other-day playoff-type schedule, and we'll see Husso in back-to-backs. They've got back-to-backs against the Kings, 23rd and 24th, against the Ducks at Anaheim on the 30th and 31st. I, I would guess that in non-back-to-back situations that we will only see Jordan Bennington. And I can give you right now, one, two, three. I'm going to give you how many games uh, Ville Husso is going to play. Four, uh, March, five, six, seven, eight. I think I said like 13 yesterday. Yeah, I think you did. Um, nine. He might not play that many. So I, there's nine back-to-backs. So maybe he'll only get those nine, and then it'll be Bennington the rest of the way, which is fine. He plays 47. He can handle it. He's young. That goalie stick isn't very heavy. <laughs> no, and he's he's light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's good. Coming up, we've got the fight for you here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 835. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it is time for the fight. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger today. Caleb is with us. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning. Just uh, got a good blues win last night. I was excited and decided to turn in on the radio and I call in. I love that, Caleb. Did you stay up for the entire game? Yes, I did. Um, I'm actually, I do advanced analysis on statistics, so I, I kind of stay up for almost every Blues game. Wow. Can you give us an interesting stat out of last night's game? Out of last night's game? Yeah, I don't know if you've the, done the, the number crunching yet. The highest, the highest rated offensive production was Robert Thomas oh, on great. drive, puck possession, and just offensive awareness in general. He's going to be huge for the Blues this season. Thank you, Caleb. Now, yesterday, Caleb, we, off the air, had a conversation about animals fighting that we then brought on the air. We wanted to know who would win in a fight, a honey badger or an elephant. The conversation has carried on today. So before we give you the sports questions, random animal fight question for you. If a gorilla and a lion are squaring off, who do you put your money on? What do the advanced statistics tell you about that fight? I don't know. I the lion's the king of uh, the jungle, so I'm I'm gonna have to go with the lion on that one. You think? But the gorilla will put up a pretty big fight. You would think so. The gorilla certainly has some weight on the lion, but I imagine if the lion gets one good swipe in there first, it might be able to take the gorilla down. That was my thought process yeah. anyway. <laughs> okay, Caleb, well, let's get into the fight here. James Harden is in the news. He's moving from Houston to Brooklyn. Where did he play his college basketball? Arizona State, UCLA, or Texas? Arizona State. 
Caleb, who was the last team to win back-to-back Stanley Cups? Was it the Chicago Blackhawks, Pittsburgh Penguins, or L.A. Kings? Pittsburgh Penguins. Caleb, the Blues have had two players win the Hart Trophy. Chris Pronger was the latest to do it, but who was the first? Was it Al McInnes, Jeff Brown, or Alex Petrangelo? I'm sorry, what were the the questions or the answers? Al McInnes, Jeff Brown, or Alex Petrangelo? The other player? Al McInnes. Okay, there you go. And who was, or excuse me, who has the most at-bats as a St. Louis Cardinal in history? Is it Stan Musial, Lou Brock, or Ozzie Smith? I'm going to say Ozzie. All right, we're checking our score here. Tanner, I'm kicking it to you. Gorilla or a lion? Where are you placing your money? I, I agree with Caleb. It's going to be a close one. You've got to go with the gorilla, though. I've seen what happens in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. They're ferocious. Come <laughs> on. I don't know. I think it's going to be a heavyweight battle between Plus, those two. anytime I see a lion, what do I see? I see it just laying there taking a nap. That's exactly what the king of the jungle wants you to think, that he's lazy, that he's apathetic, he's sleeping, and then he's going to pounce. Randy, say good morning to Caleb. Caleb, good morning. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Just watched the Blues game last night. Was pretty excited about that. Yeah, so. it's pretty awesome. Good. You stayed up for the whole thing? Yes, I did. Well, thanks for I being with for, us. Uh, almost everyone. So he also does advanced statistics and was doing oh, stats good. on the game last night. I like that. Okay, Randy. Question number one. Yes. We know that James Harden is in the news. We talked about him earlier in the mm-hmm. show. Where did he play his college basketball? Arizona State University. Randy, who was the last team to win back-to-back Stanley Cups? The Pittsburgh Penguins. Randy, the Blues have had two players win the Hart Trophy. Chris Pronger was the latest to do it, but who was the first? Holy! And Randy, who has had the most ABs as a St. Louis Cardinal in history? Most at-bats. I will... This is a good question. Let's see. Because, well, Stan did play from 41 to 63. So even though Lou Brock, but he was leadoff man, 64, 74. Do those extra years, 41, 51, 60, he missed a couple of years. So 22 minus 2 for the war, so 20. And Brock, 64, 74, 79, 15. I'm going to say that it's Stan the man. We've had this outcome a lot. We have a tie Hmm. between Randy and Caleb. Each got three correct, which means we're headed to a tiebreaker. Caleb, this is how the tiebreaker is going to work. I'm going to read the question. As I'm reading it, Randy is going to write his question on a piece of paper. You are going to get to verbally give your answer first. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer, and then Randy will reveal what he wrote down on the piece of paper, which Tanner and I will confirm. Make sure that there's no funny business going on. Like piece of paper right here. First person to get it right or closest to the pin wins. All right? Yes. Yes. Here you go, Caleb. The Blues have played the Blackhawks the most in franchise history. How many times have these two franchises played? Okay. This includes playoffs? This is regular season. Okay. Just regular season. Um, Just regular season. Okay. I think I can do this. Let's see. I'm going to go. 
I'm going to do an old school math, kids. Remember when we used to do this? Carry the one? Yep, I just did that. <laughs> Caleb, do we have an answer out of you? I'm going to say about 120 times they played a good, I mean, they play, played about 50 years, but the first years they didn't really play very often, but now they're playing about five times a year. Okay, so your answer is 120. And I'm going to go with 350. Okay. Randy goes with 350. This was a very close fight. This was the sports trivia equivalent of a gorilla versus a lion. But we have a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. As you heard, Randy taking home the crown here. Let's run through our answers before we reveal the tiebreaker answer. James Harden did play his college basketball at Arizona State from 2007 to 2009. The last team to win back-to-back Stanley Cup championships was the Pittsburgh Penguins 2015-2016 and of course 2016-2017. The Blues have had two players win the Hart Trophy Chris Pronger and Al McInnes and the Cardinal with the most at-bats was Stan Musial 10,972. The Blues have played the Chicago Blackhawks, this was the tiebreaker question, 319 times in franchise history. So Randy takes the crown. He said 350 to Caleb's 120. He was closest to the pin, so he wins. It was the Hart Trophy you said? That's what, oh, oh, did you mean, Tanner, the Norris Trophy? Because on the sheet it says Hart, but I think. Yeah, the Hart, uh, Pronger won the Hart Trophy in 2000. Holly won the Hart Trophy in 1991. I don't think we've ever had a heart yes. winner. Yeah, we've had two. It's the MVP yeah. of the league. So it, you were correct, Randy. It is Hall. Oh, well, then Caleb did not get Hall as one of his options. <laughs> so I think we need to do just a, justice for Caleb and bring him back tomorrow since he didn't get Brett Hall as one of his options. So he didn't even, ha- even have the chance to guess the right answer. Fair enough. Caleb, is that cool with you? You want to come back tomorrow and try again? That's fine with me. Part two. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Caleb. We'll talk yeah, to you tomorrow. Absolutely. Justice for All right, Caleb. Thank you. Yeah, he deserves that. Yeah, we didn't even give him the correct option, so he deserves that. So to come you, back. you were thinking Norris. I, I would think that, that the, the two, Chopper won the Norris and Pronger won the Norris as well. Coming up, how does a 162 game season for the Cardinals impact their starting pitching? That's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Obviously, 2020 was a weird year for baseball and for the Cardinals in particular because of all the doubleheaders that were a product of their COVID-19 breakout that they had on the team. But Michelle, when you look at the idea of a 162-game season for the Cardinals and the lack of veteran presence in terms of innings pitched, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Cardinals to go through the season with only six or seven starters like they would like to do. It seems like there are going to be inherent limitations when you have people like Gomber or Reyes in your rotation, when you don't know what Miles Michaelis is going to be able to deliver. 
a 162-game season for the Cardinals will probably cause them to have to use maybe a dozen starting pitchers simply because of innings limitations. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen this trend in baseball for a while now, whether it was Steven Strasburg and the Nationals when they put him on such a strict innings limit back in the day and they pulled him from the postseason, or what we saw out of Blake Snell in the World Series. Teams are very specific about the individualized programs that they have for pitchers based on the workload that their arm can sustain. They want to make sure that they're healthy. And I would imagine that transitioning from an incredibly shortened season, a truncated season into a full season would take some time to transition from a physical standpoint if you are a pitcher. So I can imagine if that philosophy is already in place, how baseball teams are going to take that and then add a little bit extra importance to it heading into this season because they want to protect their assets. So I wonder if the Cardinals and Danny Mack talked about the idea of using the piggyback where you hope for four or five innings out of Alex Reyes. But then you have a guy behind Alex Reyes that is his piggyback guy. It could be Henesis Cabrera. It could be Seth Elledge. It could be Jake Woodford. So that you go in with the knowledge that a young pitcher is going to give you X amount of innings. Not necessarily a young pitcher, but a pitcher that appears to be compromised. You know that Flaherty can be a horse. Yes. Based on what we saw last year, you think that KK is going to be efficient and be able to give you innings. Right. But Gomber has never done that. Reyes has not done that. You don't think Carlos Martinez can do that. I, I would limit, at least at the beginning, if he's in my rotation, what he can provide me. I, I, what I, I would limit his innings with the hope that I could preserve him. And you, if you want to wear him out, fine. But Ponce... If a guy like Zach Thompson makes it here, if a guy like Libertor, Oviedo, Woodford, all of those guys, as far as I'm concerned, after Flaherty and KK, have to be protected or limited by the organization. And I don't wonder if we throw Jack Flaherty in that conversation, too. We saw the Cardinals do that with him last year. At least at the beginning. At least at the beginning. And when you look at this rotation or this collection of pitchers, he's your most valuable guy. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that you are going to be, to count on more than any other. So why wouldn't you add that extra layer of protection for him? I wonder if throughout the season they might let him go a little bit, loosen up the reins, but I'm sure they have a pretty individualized program and a number that they have in mind for Jack Flaherty as well. And what we're talking about here is one of the reasons the Cardinals need Jordan Hicks to be healthy. If you have Gallegos and Hicks for the eighth and ninth inning when you're winning a game, that allows you to stretch out uh, John Gant and have him give you a couple of innings. A Cabrera can give you a couple of innings. A Helsley, he's been a starter and you can stretch him out. He's a guy that could give you two or three innings. What the Cardinals need to have set up is you can mix and match Miller, Webb, and the two guys at the back end, uh, Gallegos and, and Hicks. Those guys can be your eighth and ninth innings. So what you want to do is get four or five out of your starter and then two, three out of the piggyback guy. I think the Cardinals have enough guys that can give them innings that they're capable of doing this. It's not really like having an opener, but it's a severe limitation on what you expect from your starters. And then the, the question after that is, as they get more innings under their belt, are they building up stronger so that they can give you more? Or do you want to concern yourself with their future health and say, like you talked about with Strasburg, and say, okay, this is the number that they don't exceed in 2021? I hope that there's some 
give and take on both sides, that there's a happy medium because while you do want to protect them, some point the game may require you stick with a guy who's rolling and that you need in a crucial spot to deliver for you regardless of the um, of the number that's in the corner of the screen about how many pitches that he's thrown. Um, but I, I think the Cardinals are probably considering this because all teams in baseball are going to be dealing with the same challenges. And I wonder if we're following the bouncing ball, if this is another reason why they, why they feel so comfortable not going out and making a big move because they look at the landscape of the National League Central and they certainly could win it, but they also look at their pitching depth and they understand that a lot of their competition is going to be dealing with th- these same issues and they don't have the amount of guys that they can rely on in the manner in which the Cardinals do. Right. So that is a, an area of strength for them and they might be thinking this is a way that we can win games based on the limitations pitchers are going to see this season and the confidence that we have in our in our pitching depth. And part of it, uh, where you're going here, is eye test, right? Right. Because Tony always talked about some guys have stressful innings and stressful games. Some guys throw a lot of high-stress pitches. Other guys just glide. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we would get to August and let's use Alex Reyes as an example. They would have a built-in number for him and he would be gliding because He's so free and easy, and he makes it look so easy. But Strasburg has always done that, and that was one of the mistakes that the Nationals made. Nationals might have won the World Series if they would have kept Strasburg pitching in 2012. Yeah. And they screwed up. Now, do the Cardinals need to worry about winning a World Series? Probably not. Not in 2020. So it might be easier for them to shut a guy like Reyes down. But my point is they need to be advanced enough so that they don't count on the advanced analytics and let a guy who pitched for 13 years in the majors, like let Mike Maddox say, okay, no, he's, he's fine. He can give us four more starts and he's going to be fine. Do you think a lot of their approach will be dictated on whether they trust their team to win or not? If they really believe that they're in a position to win the division and compete in the playoffs and potentially win a World Series? Because I look at the way that they're approaching this season, and a lot of it has an eye towards the future. It's saving money. It's evaluating young talent. It's making sure that they know the ins and outs and every little detail about the prospects before they do go and make a move. So in that situation, even if the Cardinals are in a chance to win the division, if the team is as a whole, their ethos is we're looking to 2022, I would think that even if the eye test says I could let this guy go a little bit further, Mm -hmm. that the powers that B would be pulling on the on the string saying, but let's protect him because we need him for the future. We can't afford for him to get injured. I don't think winning in 2021 is a concern at all. And I honestly don't think it has anything, even in 2022, to do with wins and losses. I believe that Mike Schilt has found a really good balance between analytics and baseball, math and baseball. He accepts the analytics as a tool. He's willing, though, to let his eyes tell him what he's seeing. But I think there's a lot of people, and I think the fundamental philosophy of this front office is that they're all in on the analytics and the numbers, and they couldn't care less about what somebody's seeing. It's nope. It's kind of like what happened with the... 2012 Nationals. It's, this is our number, and it doesn't matter what's happening on the field. What matters is what we think is going to happen mathematically. We're fans of math. We're not (laughs) fans of baseball. And there isn't, in my opinion, from what I visualize and see, a real balance between 
analytics and baseball in the front office. So I'm guessing that the eye test is out the window, that if they've got a certain amount of innings that they have for Alex Reyes or Austin Gomber, that that's it, and that's what we're going with. Which can be frustrating as a fan. Ask the Tampa Bay Rays. No doubt. No doubt. And it's, it's, it's a stupid approach. We played baseball for 150 years without analytics, and, and we were fine. And all of a sudden, people decide, oh, well, we should limit pitchers to 100 pitches every game. And we should limit a guy's innings to 160. And we shouldn't let a guy see a lineup for the third time through. Come on. The, the days of Bob Gibson, Randy, are long gone. Well, and here's what needs to happen. We need Tony Larusa, and we need Joe Girardi and Dave Dombrowski to succeed. And Tony, pretty much every time he's on with us, he says, I, I think, and Dan talks about the pendulum swinging back to getting away from the analytics as the be-all, end-all. Not getting away from them altogether, but ha- not having them be the be-all, end-all. I think what we need is people that care about winning to win. <laughs> yes. You play to win the game, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to get a return on your investment. You play right. to win the game. Right. And so uh, I, I have no doubt that the Cardinals will set limitations and that 162 games, to, to get back to where we started, to for 162 games, if the Cardinals wind up using a dozen starting pitchers, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. And Flaherty. KK, Gomber, Reyes, Martinez, Michaelis, Ponce, uh, Zach Thompson, Libertor, Oviedo, Woodford. That's 11 starters right there. It's very easy for me to see each of those guys getting at least one start for the Cardinals this season. Coming up on 101 ESPN is the excitement surrounding the Blues and the lack of activity around the Cardinals causing a sea change about those two organizations and their popularity in St. Louis? We want you to weigh in. You can use the mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. You can send us a text. Are you more excited about the Blues than the Cardinals? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Social media was buzzing throughout the Blues game last night. People were so fired up about the opener, and they're fired up about tomorrow, 8 o'clock with the action, 7 o'clock pregame for the Blues and the Avalanche here on 101 ESPN. And, Michelle, I, I want to touch on a couple of things, and I want to start this from a broad-based perspective because right. uh, my son went out for a run yesterday, and he gets home after about a half hour, and he's looking at his phone, and he said, Wow. The NBA had more activity in my run than the MLB has had in two and a half months of their their <laughs> offseason. Or, or the NBA. The, the NBA had more activity yesterday in 15 minutes than Major League Baseball has had their entire offseason. Facts. Yeah. Not only activity, but major stars Huge. being moved. Yeah. And we've seen you Darvish moved. We've seen Francisco Lindor moved. We've seen a little bit of activity involving star players in baseball. But... Generally, it's been moving as slow as molasses. And BK had the stat, I believe it was yesterday, it's a great one, that of the 30 teams in Major League Baseball, the only team that hasn't made a transaction where they've added a Major League player to their team, the only team is the St. Louis Cardinals. Wow. They have done absolutely nothing. So, and this is a weird thing to say, but it's the opener of, of the Blues season. At this stage of the game, 
are you more excited about the Blues than the Cardinals? Blues have a more recent history of winning. They have a more recent history of transactions. They have a more recent history of commitment to winning. Uh, I'm totally in that boat where I'm much more excited about not only what the Blues are doing on the ice, but what they do off the ice as well. I have 100% faith in the Blues operation from the top down and Tom Stillman to continuously pour into this team financially. Even during a pandemic, Mm -hmm. Tom Stillman is writing checks to improve this team and position them to be in the best place to win. I trust Doug Armstrong implicitly to constantly be making moves to bring in talent to this team. And not only just bringing in moves because it looks good on paper, he knows the people to bring in, whether it's a Ryan O'Reilly or a Kyle Clifford or a Mike Hoffman or a Tory Krug. Doug Armstrong is not reactionary. The devil works hard. Doug Armstrong works harder. He <laughs> always has a plan. He has something up his sleeve, and he is not afraid to be aggressive and go for it. Even if it doesn't work out in the end, he's not afraid to cut ties with a David Backus, who's beloved by the fan base. He's not afraid to move past Alex Petrangelo, who's the first person to hoist the cup and stand and blues franchise history and it's still very productive for you on the ice he's not afraid to move away from that because he trusts his instincts and he trusts the product that he's putting together let's continue on down the line i trust craig baruby to put together lines that are going to be effective for this team and provide production i trust him to know how to communicate with his guys and that regardless of the of the names that may be changing on the roster the messaging is the same when you put on that sweater you know what type of blues hockey you're going to get And that is unique. The players, the same way. We have star power combined Mm -hmm. with depth, combined with youth that's coming up. I love their style of play. You feel like I can emotionally pour into this team because they give me hope. They give me a chance to win. And just from an entertainment standpoint, you want to watch Blues hockey every time they hit the ice. Now, if you're looking at the Cardinals, that's in direct contrast to what we're getting from the St. Louis Cardinals right now. No doubt. And... I'm going to just say from a personal perspective, and I believe a lot of people agree with me here, I just think the Blues start off with a better product. Hockey is a more fun and exciting game to watch than baseball is. So you start with that and then add in what you just talked about in terms of trying to be competitive and showing people that you care and making moves because at the end of the day, I love the Dan Levitard line, Fan bases are more interested in the transaction than the action. And the Blues were loaded with transactions, too. It's just more fun. And we've get, we're getting a ton of response on the text line from the 314. How is it that the Cardinals can use the pandemic as an excuse not to spend, but the Blues, just down the street or far less profitable, push the cap year after year? Great question. Number from the 314. The Blues are the kings of the city and deservedly so. The Cardinals can kick rocks with their lack of interest in winning. Also, hockey is worlds better than baseball. And uh, from the 618, preach, Randy, preach, enlighten the young whippersnappers. I guess that's talking about (laughs) analytics and stuff. Oh, yeah. But uh, from the 314, and this is, I I think, Michelle, what you just touched on. I like that Armstrong goes for the low-hanging fruit when it's there, but doesn't live on it like a certain president of baseball operations. Mike Hoffman was low-hanging fruit, and the, the Blues pounced and got a player that they can really use. Absolutely. And when you look at the Cardinals... What is the number one thing that you're going to tune in to watch this season? Is it their their style of play? No. We're, mm-hmm. We've had many years of 
stagnant offense. They're not that exciting. Who's one star on this team that you would turn on the TV for? That it's must-watch television. Is it Jack Flaherty? Is it Paul, Paul Goldschmidt? Is it maybe Dylan Carlson? Are you going to rearrange your day to make sure that you don't miss a Cardinals game? No, not on a day-to-day basis. But I will for the Blues. I will for the Blues, too. Do you feel like you're going to watch a a Cardinal game and walk away pumped and satisfied the way we did with the Blues last night? No. And here's the perfect example. Well, not the perfect example, but I I think it lends credence to what we're talking about here. We get up really early in the morning. Yes. Not as early as some radio people, but we get up really early. We don't have to stay up to watch games. Right. But we (laughs) stayed up till midnight. Neither of us had any problem. We're both really excited. We're both running on the adrenaline of a game last night. Yes. If the Cardinals start off with a 930 start, are we not going to doze off? I I think your body wouldn't allow you to stay up. No, right. Whereas last night, you're watching the Blues. They're they're scoring. There's so much happening. It was great. Here's a text, Michelle, that I think should alarm the Cardinals. From the 636. 2019, we didn't go to the stadium once for the first time in my life. Wow. 2020 happened and really didn't miss baseball. I don't anticipate going this year, even when vaccinated. I will try to go to any blues game that I can. I think a lot of people share that sentiment. And this is what I have thought about over the past year in regards to the Cardinals. In St. Louis, it is a tradition to go to Cardinals games. It is a rite of Mm -hmm. passage. It is part of our fabric. This is what we do. We love the ritualistic nature of going to the ballpark. It has always been the place to be. And when that was removed from the equation and we couldn't gather at Bush Stadium and we couldn't see the Clydesdales and we couldn't do all of the things that from an emotional standpoint are tied to the Cardinals, we were forced to focus strictly on the product. And I think a lot of people really looked at the product without the environment and realized that they didn't really like it. They weren't that entertained. And then when you have another choice in the blues and they're giving you everything the Cardinals aren't, I wonder when fans are allowed to go back if we're going to see that reflected in any way. I think when you, Gary Bettman talked about, we don't want to miss a season because we don't want people to forget about us. And I think I think because the Cardinals didn't have fans last year, what you're talking about, that tradition, you don't have it for a while and it goes by the wayside. You find something else to do. People over the past year have changed a lot of in their behavioral patterns. And that includes the way that you view your favorite teams and the way that you consume sports. I want to touch on another really salient text here from the 314. I get equally excited for the Blues and the Cardinals. For years, people told me how great the Cardinals organization was versus the Blues and the Rams. To me, it runs in cycles. I never fully bought into the Cardinals being the model franchise and don't buy into them suddenly becoming clueless. But the Blues and the Cardinals owners are good in their own way, and I'm an equal fan of both. And I think one of the things that happened here, Michelle, you go back to 2000, the sporting news ranked St. Louis as the number one sports city in America. Mm-hmm. Bill Laurie owned the Blues, was incredibly competitive in trying to get that team over the hot top and trying to get them a Stanley Cup. The Blues had one of the top two or three payrolls in hockey. And you had superstar players. The Rams win the Super Bowl. And you've got the greatest show on turf. And you've got all these stars. Yeah. And the Cardinals... In 2000, they go out and get Edmonds, and they go out and get Renteria, and they go out and get Andy Bennis and and Daryl Kyle, and the Cardinals are really competitive. And I I think all three of the franchises, in their own way, 
felt the need to compete against the team that was playing down the street. Yeah. I think the Cardinals have moved past that, and I think it does go back to analytics. I think the Cardinals have moved past feeling like they need to compete because of what you're talking about, because they say, oh, it's a tradition. People are going to show up because it's the place to be. It's the thing to do. People have their family reunions and come in from Effingham, Illinois, to have their family reunion, (laughs) or Paducah, Kentucky, to have their family reunion at at the ballpark. That's not going to stop. And I think that is something that... That's an attitude that probably is not very healthy for them because of what we're talking about. People will, even in St. Louis, they will find other things to do. And I know we need to take this conversation with a grain of salt because the Cardinals are still in position to potentially win their division. Mm -hmm. They're not tanking. But I never thought in my lifetime I would see the stars align to where any team regardless of the product on the field, would trump the St. Louis Cardinals. And I don't wonder if we're at that place. But you said something earlier that I quickly want to touch on, that Levitard always says people enjoy the transaction more than the action. And certainly Doug Armstrong is aggressive, and he provides us with those transactions. But the Cardinals, even when they've made moves recently, it hasn't really worked out for them. So even when the Cardinals fans get the transaction, it's tied emotionally with doubt, with sus- suspicion. You don't know if you can trust them to make the right, right. moves. Right. So that even even the action that you're craving is mixed emotionally with weird feelings. Yeah. And I know it's apples to oranges, 2004 to 2021. Apples to oranges. Yeah. But from our perspective as fans and wanting to invest emotionally and financially in a franchise, Scott Rowland, all-star, 2004. Edgar Renteria, all-star. Tony Womack, been a world champion, potential all-star. Albert, all-star, best player in the game. Yeah. Larry Walker, all-star, Hall of Famer. Jim Edmonds, borderline Hall of Famer, all-star. Reggie Sanders, all-star quality player. Uh, you look at the front of the rotation, Chris Carpenter, all-star. Jeff Supon, great postseason performer. Matt Morris, all-star. Woody Williams, really, really, really good pitcher. Jason Isringhausen, all-star closer. You go to the Cardinals game in 2021, you get the opportunity to do so. Maybe Paul Goldschmidt's an all-star? I mean, you you aren't saying the third baseman's an Mm -hmm. all-star. You aren't saying the shortstops. Maybe. Maybe, but because the Cardinals need to have a representative. Second baseman? Yeah. None of the outfielders. And if you you don't have a a veteran catcher, and probably the catcher you have now is not an all-star, it's just light years away from what they were. And we talked about it yesterday, the difference in baseball now. I understand that, but... The fact of the matter is, we still remember when the Cardinals had a team of all-stars. Yeah. And now we're seeing a team with virtually none except for the possibility of a 33-year-old Paul Goldschmidt. The Cardinal way, in air quotes, used to be star power, development of young players, and identity, tradition, winning tradition, and, ha- and playing the game, air quotes, the right way. Are the Blues the Cardinal way? Have the Blues taken <laughs> yeah, the identity yeah, from yeah. the Cardinals? They yeah. they check all of those boxes. They have all-stars. They have young talent that's developing and ascending and blossoming right before our very eyes. They are now a championship franchise. This is a team with an identity. This is a team that used to do exactly what the Cardinals do, and they go out and they make crazy moves to acquire talent. Look at what they did with Mike Hoffman. Look what they did with Tory Krug. That's exactly what the Cardinals used to do back right, in the day. The Blues are the Cardinal way. <laughs> Coming up, Michelle mentioned that Doug Armstrong made the decision to allow the iconic David Backus to leave because he wouldn't give Backus the length of contract that he wanted. Do the Cardinals have that same 
feeling and that same level of guts to do that. They might need to. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. In regards to the Cardinals, Michelle, some interesting news that came across your screen moments ago. Yes. So we have news. I'm reading this from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch from Derek Gould. Yadier Molina did an interview with Cardinal Spanish language broadcaster Polo Sencio. I'm trying it's La Vida Baseball. That's where he did the interview with Yadier Molina and some interesting information coming out of this interview between Yadier and Polo and some quotes that might give us a little peek into Yadier Molina and where his thought process might be right now in regards to his free agency. Let me pull up the quote here. Okay. As I'm scrolling. Okay. So this is the one that popped out at me, Randy. Yadi said in the interview, I'm getting ready as always, and God will tell. If God wants me to come back, then I'll come back. And if not, I will retire happy and with my head held high. So God wants him to play two years? That's fine. Obviously, when he says that, he's not talking to the Yankees or the Angels, right? There's only one team that he's talking to when he says that, and that's the Cardinals. And if you're the Cardinals, and I've, I've said this before, it's, and I don't think anybody that has paid attention to the Cardinals over the last 17 years, well, let's make it 14 years, would disagree with this. He's been in charge of the organization. Call his bluff. If, if he wants to retire, if he doesn't get a two-year contract, that's cool. That's fine. We've got Andrew Kisner. We can go get Matt Weider's back. We can go get uh, a catcher. There, There's a million catchers still on the market. And are you really going to make a difference between the Cardinals winning or not winning the World Series in 2021? Yeah. So, hey, if I'm the Cardinals, I call this bluff. And I'm pleasantly surprised that they're sticking their grounds mm-hmm. on this one. Or so far. So, so far, or seemingly sticking their grounds. And Yachty has said publicly many times that his preference is to return to the Cardinals. Benji Molina, his brother, was on with the fast lane, mm-hmm. and he reiterated that fact, too, while also acknowledging that he had been receiving interest from other teams. And we've talked about this ad nauseum, that as other dominoes had fallen, the opportunities for him to go elsewhere might have lessened and that the chances of him coming back to St. Louis were increasing. But I wonder if he really means that. If you are someone as competitive as Jadier Molina and you are preparing yourself to play baseball and you think you have another two years left in you, if a two-year option isn't on the table, does that remove your desire to return for at least one year? How good do you think you are? Do you want to bet on yourself? Because if you think you're that good, then play 2021 under a one-year contract. And inevitably, if you're that good, if you're what Yadier Molina is supposed to be, somebody's going to bring you back for a second year, whether it's the Cardinals or somebody else. So uh, he has bet on himself a lot. So why not do it one more time? I wonder if that's something that he's willing to move on. You said, yeah, come back, bet on yourself. And Yachty's such a, a competitive person and trusts himself and his skills more than any player than maybe we've ever covered and deservedly so. But I wonder, knowing what we know about him and his desire to do things and the way that most things have fallen in his favor throughout his career, mm-hmm. that if this is something that he's pretty steadfast in, wanting to play two years, if the Cardinals stick to their guns and they say, we're only going to give you one year at this price, take it or leave it. If he truly would walk away, 
and say, if you're not going to give me the second year, then I'm done. If it really came down to the length of the contract and not not maybe the money or the winning or the control that you desire, if it really came down to two years, if you're willing to play two years, why wouldn't you concede for one? And if you're the organization, why would you bid against yourself? Because clearly there isn't anybody else out there willing to give a two-year contract to him. So why bid against yourself? If your offer is the offer, then let it be the offer. And if Yachty decides, hey, I'm going to retire if I don't get my two years, he's had a great Hall of Fame career. That's great for the Cardinals that he retires a member of the Cardinals. Yes. It's great for the Cardinals that he spent his entire career here if he decides it's one way or the other. And by the way, can I make one other point here? Always. The Yankees have actually won World Series since Yogi Berra retired. The Reds have won World Series since Johnny Bench retired. The Red Sox won World Series after Carlton Fisk retired. There have been myriad catchers in Major League Baseball, Hall of Fame catchers, great catchers that have retired, and their franchises have been able to go on without them. I'm telling you that it might not happen in the next three years. It might not happen in the next five years. But if baseball's around, the Cardinals are going to win a World Series without Yadier Molina catching for them. He's not indispensable. Are you sure they're going to win one? (laughs) Even the Cubs won a World Series. (laughs) That's true. That's true. No, your your point is well taken. But I think retirement might be the most shocking outcome of all. We knew that he might want to return to St. Louis, and we thought inevitably they might come to an agreement, some sort of a compromise to get him to come back because of all the reasons that we've, we've mentioned. We knew that there would be some sort of a market out there for him. I thought that he might be more inclined to walk away and go somewhere else than he would to concede to the Cardinals because it's always different when you're getting wooed by someone else. Mm -hmm. They could offer you the exact same package and you could view it as disrespect from your current team and adoration from from an opposing team. It's just how life works. It's, It's weird how it works that way. But retirement, if you don't get two years, was never really something that I I perceived him to really be interested in. It's a threat. He's really not interested in it, but it's a threat. It's a, it's another way, just like saying that the Yankees and Mets and Angels and Padres were interested. He's trying to to gin up the Cardinals' interest in him, which is fine. Negotiation tactics. Yeah, that's the way it works. Molina's agent, Melvin Roman, telling Derek Gould at stltoday.com, and you can read the story at stltoday.com, uh, Molina's agent declined to discuss specifics of negotiations, but did say, quote, things could move fast, unquote, when offers begin to take shape. So I I would think that somebody makes an offer, we'll accept it. That's the way I read that. I read it as Yachty is trying to get his message out there, hoping to perhaps nudge, nudge the Cardinals along towards his desired meeting place. But if I'm an opposing team and Yachty was somebody that I was interested in and I'm seeing this go on through the media, Mm -hmm. I might look at it as an opportunity to strike and to do what we just said. Woo him. Talk about come here for a year. You're the Mm -hmm. missing piece. You're the secret sauce. Look what you can do with our pitching staff. We need your intensity. We need your competitiveness. We need your championship caliber attitude. We need you to get us to this place. That seems more desirable to me than after I publicly said, if I don't get what I want in a two-year deal from the Cardinals, I'm going to walk away. Nobody really Mm -hmm. wants to 
come back and say, okay, no. well, I didn't yeah. get what I wanted. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Nobody no. really wants to do that. By the way, I would think that if Yaddy would retire, he would likely become a fight question because I can't imagine that there's anybody else in the history of baseball who grounded into a triple play on their last at-bat. What a stat. Isn't that phenomenal? That is a fun fact. That's a good enough reason to retire right there. No, that's a good enough reason to come back because for Yachty or Molina, (laughs) that is not the way that you go out. For Yachty, that cannot be the way that you go out. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. One quick note before we get to You're Killing Me, Smalls. This is from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Two potential moves I'm watching with Urban Meyer and the Jaguars. Former Texas defensive coordinator Chris Ash, Urban's defensive coordinator at Ohio State as DB's coach, and Texans defensive coordinator Anthony Weaver, Urban's graduate assistant at Florida as head defensive assistant defensive line. So it looks like the Urban Meyer staff in Jacksonville is coming together. All right, here we go. You're killing me, Small. I hope they're able to finalize that deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> going to be a pretty good college staff he's putting together there in Jacksonville. That's going to be such a fun storyline to watch develop. Can Urban Meyer get it done in the NFL? Can he do it with Trevor Lawrence? It's awesome. Jacksonville, all of a sudden, a really interesting place. Yeah, it really is. You know? How'd that happen? Well, let's talk about another team in Florida, Randy, our Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Shout out T-Pain. Anytime I read something involving our Dolphins, we need to talk about it. And this one's pretty juicy. So we had heard the reports about Deshaun Watson being unhappy with everything that was going on with the Texans. There was a a report out there that he might demand a trade and that he might be interested in going to the Miami Dolphins. So, of course, our Spidey senses started going. Well, a really interesting report, Randy, from the Miami Herald where they talked to three unnamed players who expressed their concerns to the newspaper about Tua and if he's the right man for the job, if he's the guy that can be the franchise quarterback to take the Dolphins where they need to go. Here are some of the quotes from the piece. The concerning thing to the players who spoke to the Herald is that they're not convinced Tua is going to be great in the future. They said they were unimpressed by him during training camp to the point where they thought he wouldn't even be ready to play in 2020. They said they were caught totally off guard when Tua was named the starter in the seventh game of the season. Another said that before the season finale, when players were informed by head coach Brian Flores that Ryan Fitzpatrick would not be available against the Bills, they were disappointed because they all believed Fitzpatrick was better than Tua. The way I read this is that Tua was never really healthy. And that's one of the reasons that they got him into games because he didn't have a chance to work out down the stretch of his Alabama career. Didn't have an offseason program with the Dolphins. Didn't have a training camp, a real training camp with the Dolphins. So I don't think that we ever saw the real Tua with Miami. And I still believe that with all of the great things that Joe Burrow did, that if Tua stays healthy and doesn't injure the hip at Alabama and they win the national championship, I think Tua is the number one pick in the draft rather than Joe Burrow. 
true. But these are players that are watching him in practice. They're, they're, they're I, seeing him on a day-to-day basis, yeah. and they're not convinced. And I don't think he was healthy. But here's the other thing. I think they were comparing him, A, to their college quarterback, or B, to a healthy Ryan Fitzpatrick, which is reasonable to do. My point is, I don't think that they've ever seen, unless they played with Tua at Alabama, I don't think they've ever seen prime Tua. And I don't know if he can ever get back to being Mm -hmm. fully healthy. It, It might be that he can never get back. But here's my thing. I think he's going to be healthy. I think he's going to be great. And I want Houston to know and believe that. Yes, Houston, if you're listening, he is going to be a star. Yes. You can part with an unhappy Deshaun. The Dolphins will happily take him off your hands. You can get that number three pick, build around Tua, who definitely wasn't peak last season. But this is what I thought was the most interesting part of the piece, Randy. They said, these unnamed players, that the concerns about Tua go beyond his accuracy. One defensive player said he wasn't impressed with Tua's ball velocity or his arm strength or his ability to make off-schedule plays with his legs. So he ultimately questions whether Tua will ever be able to match the feats of other quarterbacks such as Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Here's the quote. Those are the boys we've got to beat, right? It looks right now like that's going to be a big challenge. And I love that the state of the Dolphins right now is such that they're already thinking about beating those big guys. Yeah, those are the expectations. Yes. But we've seen a healthy Tua do that. And that goes back to, again, whether or not Tua is going to be healthy. But at Alabama playing in the the 4A of football. There's the NFL, and then there's the SEC, and then there's everybody else. Tua was uber successful, playing against the best teams that college football had to offer on a regular basis. So for me, the question isn't whether or not he had the ability. It's whether he can get the ability back. I think he can do... Number one, I think it's unfair to compare anybody to Patrick Mahomes. Right. And Josh Allen is 6'5 and 240. That's different a different guy. And Deshaun Watson is special. He's he, he's a physical freak, too. He beat Alabama pretty much by himself in a national championship game. Tua is not those guys, but if you surround him with enough quality talent, starting with Devontae Smith, can he be a guy that leads you to a Super Bowl? I I think if he's healthy, he can. That's the question that only the Dolphins medical people and probably their coaching staff knows. And if Deshaun is on the table, you hope you don't choose wrong. Exactly. Well, if Deshaun's on the table, it doesn't matter because he's already done it at the NFL level. You have no questions about him. So if I'm the Dolphins and it's Tua and the second pick and or the third pick, Tua and Houston's two picks that they sent for Tunsil and Stills. I'm making that trade if I'm the Dolphins. I'm making that trade too, but you certainly don't hope that you you mortgage your future and give away a quarterback that you had under control that turns out to be what Deshaun is. No. And I think because of the pressure that Deshaun has with the no trade clause, if I were the Dolphins, I don't give up my other number one pick. I'm giving them a number one, a number two, if they want a number four. I, I wouldn't give up both number ones unless I got Watt back also. Do you think Deshaun is looking at what's happening in Houston or what happened in Houston with James Harden and is maybe a little inspired by the power Mm -hmm. that NBA players have? And maybe he's thinking, I need to turn up the heat myself. He's got all the power. I I have made it known. I need to continue to make it known publicly. Maybe I need to call a press conference and just throw it out there, force their hand. All he needs to do is continue to not, not answer their calls. By not saying anything, he'll tell them all they need to know. Can you imagine if you're the front office and you're trying to get a hold of him and you can't? How frustrating that would be. Great.
You're killing me, Small. All right, one more thing, Randy, on an NFL quarterback. A lot of speculation out there about Ben Roethlisberger and if he will return to the Pittsburgh Steelers next season or if he might hang it up. He hinted that he'd like to return for another season, but he's done that dance before, so we don't know if we can really trust what he says. But his head coach, Mike Tomlin, was asked about Big Ben's future, and here's what he had to say. Listen to this quote, Randy. Mike Tomlin on Big Ben. I think it is reasonable to assume that there is a chance that he is going to be back, certainly. <laughs> I think it is reasonable to assume <laughs> that there is a chance that, a chance that he is going to be back, certainly. <laughs> yeah. So we don't know anything. He huh? could have just said that. <laughs> yeah. Is that quote is gray area. Yeah. But what a what a good response. Well, and if I'm the Steelers, I am preparing to move on. If he wants to come back. Then he comes back, but I'm drafting a quarterback. I am protecting myself. I'm absolutely convinced that Mason Rudolph isn't the guy. And if I have evaluated that Josh Dobbs can't play in front of Mason Rudolph, I know he's not the guy, so I have to draft a quarterback. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest, our teammate Dan McLaughlin. He is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We're getting ready for scoops with Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. Top of the hour. Blues win 4-1 in their opener over Colorado. That was fun. It was great. Uh, I guess your phone was going off uh, a little bit with your sounding horn in the living room. Oh, Joe was fired up <laughs> and the kids were going crazy and Robert Thomas looked awesome. Uh, moving up Sunquist is... The right move, and Craig Berube uh, pushed the right buttons. Bennington looks solid, so good start for the Blues. LGB? Yeah, it was great. And Thomas? Yeah, it was great. And Thomas, yeah. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep, yep. I can't really focus because we have something very strange well, people on, on the that, studio uh, desk here. People remember the uh, Stan Kroenke, what are these called? Urinal whatever things. Cakes? Ur- urinal cakes, yeah, that they had at Hot Shots. And Hot Shots, our friends at Hot Shots, gave us a couple of these several years ago. And I was telling about, uh, telling Michelle and Dan about how we had uh, kind of laid the groundwork, put the framework in place for a community celebration when the uh, the demise of the devil occurred. And I know a lot of people in the community are really on board with that. So I was just uh, pointing out that there are people that actually, and I know it's been five years. Yeah, even now that they would still feel that strongly. I think people do. I know people still hate him. That is undisputed. But, but would they take the time to go to a little celebration? Yeah. I wouldn't want to give him any of my time. Of, of life. I, I think of more pressing concerns or matters is the fact that you brought that in here. Yes. It's sitting on the table, and let's hope it hasn't been used. It has not been used. All right. It's been hanging in the fast sure lane office. I, well, again, have you been around that 24-7? Who knows? No, I haven't. So let's just Jamie Rivers, move that thing maybe. over there. Yeah. Sanitize. Yeah. We are in a pandemic. Absolutely. Keep that closer to you, Randall. Hey, I am... Uh, Going to be tuned in tomorrow. Great. With, uh, well, no, for you, with the virtual winter warm-up for the 2011 celebration, 6.30 tomorrow night. And you can get involved. Go to cardinals.com slash WWU, winter warm-up. And uh, you will have a virtual conversation tomorrow night with members of that 2011 team. I'm really looking forward to it. I did an interview um, when the shutdown hit and the pandemic hit. It was it was really neat what the Cardinals did. And I'm getting to the original point here. 
And I actually ran the audio uh, on 101. I probably need to re, re-air it. But it was a... Um, so what we did, we did these town halls to kind of keep the fans engaged. Because those. fans were just... At that point, there was really no sports. And there was no end in sight. Or, hey, are we going to have anything? And that included the Blues restart, uh, football, baseball, anything. I mean, nothing was going on. So... The Cardinals, great idea. They said, hey, to keep our fans engaged, we ought to try to just do something once a week to, hey, we're we're here. We love you. You know, let's let's give you some entertainment. And people weren't leaving their homes, remember, at mm-hmm. that point. Not to say that they're doing it much now, but they definitely weren't leaving then. So on that particular night, we had David Freeze. I've done thousands of interviews, thousands. And I will say in that 60-minute interview with David Freeze. It might be my favorite interview I've ever done. Wow. Wow. Ever. Uh, I've never seen him, and I don't know if he'll be like this on, to, on tomorrow night, and he is supposed to be a part of it. Lance Berkman, I think Ryan Terrio, uh, McClellan's going to be a part of it. There's a bunch of guys, some of the guys we haven't heard from in 10 years, but I've never heard David Freeze is open ever in in his personal life, what he went through, where he's at now, and what the home run has meant to him, his family, and the community. I, I think when you're in the moment and you hit the home run, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. What, you're just you're playing, right? And you have Game Seven the next day, and then there's the celebration, and everybody in your hometown is tugging at you. I get it, and I think he got swept up in that, and he talked about that. He talked about getting traded, which he said was probably the best thing for him personally, and and got his life right, and so. Not that it was off the the, the tracks. It just kind of centered him mm-hmm. back in more things that he wanted to focus on in his life, his personal life, and finding a wife and starting a family and that kind of thing. I've never heard him like that. I've t- had personal conversations with him about that stuff, but never open like that. So I I don't know if we'll get that because his teammates will be around right. him. So you're a little different around. You're not guarded, mm-hmm. but you're just like, oh, be quiet. You know, guys are giving you trouble. Yeah. But when you have an hour to go in depth with somebody like that, you really can dive into those subjects. Does he have that sports memory? Like, if you ask Isaac about that winning touchdown in the yes, Super Bowl. Yes, he does. Good. Because <laughs> yes, Isaac I know gives, where you're going yeah. with this. Isaac will give you a four-and-a-half-minute answer about that one play, the touchdown in the Super Bowl. I, Albert is fantastic. I, Albert will tell you pitch by pitch about his first at bat against Mike Hampton in the major leagues. He he, he got me out with an, uh, a cutter inside. You're right. Uh, you and know? now I made the adjustment. Yeah. I thought yeah. he'd do this on this count. Um, yeah. I can't remember. I think it's the triple, but he talked about, I think it was the first pitch. Who would, who would have been in? Feliz at that point? Yeah. Who was a really hard thrower. Um, and he said, man, that first pitch he goes I I, and I'm gonna mess up the story here but I think you'll get the general gist of it but he said it was a fastball and he was like whoa that's he's bringing it he's fired up he's got a lot of you know I got to gear up and this is the pitch I and he didn't think one of the pitches was a strike and I think the the triple was down to two strikes correct it was yeah yeah so he said I'm I'm gearing up for this this and he went through the hole at bat I got goosebumps thinking about right now but he went through the hole at bat and his mindset of what he was looking for, what he thought was coming, and what he had to do. That's perfect. I yeah. want to hear that. Um, so I, I've saved that interview. I, I should replay parts of it because I, I do think fans would really enjoy yeah. it. And he's such a good guy. He is great. And and now that um, the thing I'm excited about, I don't know if we were talking about it the other day, but he wants to be part of the family. Like yeah. he mm-hmm. he's like I'm all, I'm all in. 
I, you know, I, I had to step away, but now I'm away. I'm all in, and he's back, so it's great. Michelle and I were talking about uh, an interview that Yachty has done with Polo Asensio, in which he essentially says, to paraphrase, and I don't know if this is lock, stock, and barrel, but if I don't get a two-year deal, I can walk away happy with my head held high. I am of the belief that when he makes a statement like that, that he's talking only to the St. Louis Cardinals. So if you're the Cardinals, do you call his what bluff? What do, do you think? That's, do you think that's losing leverage when you read that yeah. comment? I, I did, too. Nobody I, else is offering a two-year contract. That's what he's telling me. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of losing leverage a little bit. I, I think it gets worked out. I, I think... This is just kind of reading the tea leaves. If if the commissioner comes out three days ago and says, we're starting spring training, you better get your rosters ready. And, oh, by the way, teams have to basically relocate their their franchise to their specific places in Arizona and Florida. we got to get things going. And that means you have to, one way or another, make a decision on Yachty, and Yachty has to make a decision one way mm-hmm. or another whether he wants to play. I would be shocked if he doesn't want to play, if he doesn't get quite the deal that he wants. That's just my personal opinion. And knowing how competitive he is and understanding that I I don't think it would be great for him to go out in 2020 with no fans in the stands. Yeah. I, I think I think he wants it. I think the organization wants it. And I know the fans want it. it. It just makes sense for him to come back here. I don't know what that price tag is, but to the original point is that now you do have a better idea that we are going to have 162 games. So you know that part of the budget, what it's going to cost you for your payroll. You're not technically sure how many people are going to be in the seats, but you got an idea that you know television money locally is going to be this. Your national TV money is going to be. So you're getting a better idea yeah. of what you're going to have to spend. And if it fits, it fits. I, I'd love to see him back. I think it'd be a shame if he didn't. You would think that if he thinks he's in a position physically, mentally, to go two years that he wouldn't just walk away. I wonder, Michelle, if, if they got to have a, the hard conversation, because a franchise is not only about the now, it's about five years from now, too. And, and you know, they <clears throat> have a young catcher that they feel in two years could be the guy. And he I've seen him play. He's really good. That's Herrera. Right. And they've got Kisner, who has shown flashes. You know, can you go to Yachty and say, hey, Yachty, we want you to play... 100, 120, whatever. But if your play is going to dictate how much you do play. So if you get on fire and you start playing well, you're going to play. But if not, we got to we got to look at other guys too. We got to think about everything in this equation. It's complicated to an extent, and some people say, "No, it's not. You just tell them you're playing this and that's what you do and here's the money and if you want it, great. If not, walk away." I think though from the franchise perspective, you got to have the gap, the bridge to get to Herrera. Now, if, is, that, is that Kisner? I would have loved to have found out during the 60 games. That was the time yeah. to find out. And if not, then bring back Yachty. I mean, Yachty still is playing, and you talk to people in the game, and is he the offensive player that he once was? No, he's not. Are we always talking about slugging and power? Yes, we are. Does he provide that? Not really. But on the defensive side, which is often overlooked, and if you think about defense as a catcher position, that's important. He still is very, very good. He's above average. So it's not like you're bringing back um, Willie Mays to go play center for the Mets, and he's not Willie Mays. You're still getting a pretty good player. It's just not the player that we saw five years ago. And the reason that you don't sign him to a two-year deal is because you don't win that. know where that cliff is. At some I wonder, point, though, can you do two years in an, or a year in an option? Well, so you say, here, here's our two years. You know, there's attainable stuff or it's a 
team see, option, see, I, mutual I option. I, I don't know. I, I think it'd have to be mutual. I don't think that you can go vesting because you're telling them we don't want what you right. want to play as That's much. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I, I just, I wonder if you can do that. Um, I also got to wonder just what he means when we op- open back up and, you know, who knows? Maybe by the middle of the summer, we got a, a lot of fans down there in the ballpark of what he means for tickets sold. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a grasp on that. And I think be interesting to hear from fans yeah. what they think. Would you go down there specifically to watch him one more time? And I think a lot of fans would say, yes, I would. And I asked Michelle this earlier. Would it not be cool to have that trivia question? Who is the only major league player to ever end his career with a triple play? Is there anybody? I can't imagine. We all have to get in touch with Elias. When I saw that happen and I was thinking about, okay, this could go down as his final at bat. Nah, it's not his final at bat. No. Can't end like this. <laughs> can't end like that. No, no. It's so wrong. But we do have the playoffs, though, so that's okay. I'm off the hook on that one, but triple play? No. And it ended with a triple play. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. And I was thinking it. I swear, I was thinking it as he was at the plate. I was like, really? Oh. Tell you, you were all over it. I was like, he's not going to hit into a triple play. Because when you're doing the play-by-play, you sometimes... In baseball, there's so many variables. That crazy stuff always happens. Mm-hmm. Like, what if this guy dinks one here? Does he have the speed to go here? Who's the guy in right field on that dinker that's got an arm? Do you, you know, where are you up by two? Do you save that? Who's on deck? You, you think about all those things. And where's the third baseman playing? Where's the third right baseman on the play? bag? Yeah, he's right on the bag. Yachty's aggressive on the first pitch. This guy throws sinkers. You might get a ground ball. Uh-oh, he got the ground ball. He hit it hard. Yachty's not the fleetest of... But so, triple play. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, all right, we'll go back to, we'll come back for the ninth and a second. It was, yeah, I mean, you went right to commercial. Yeah. What do we got coming up on scoops? Uh, Bill DeWitt. Bill DeWitt the third will be our guest, uh, the Cardinals president. So talk about promote the winter warm-up. Want to make sure that we try to get as many people to log on. And I, I say this all the time, and I'm going to sound like a homer, and that's fine. Raise as much money for Cardinals mm-hmm. care as we can. It all 100%. So you can argue all you want about what they're doing on the field, not spending money, all that stuff. I get it. Uh, but what they do off the field, they've raised almost $25 million since wow. its inception. And $25 million has gone back to kids in the community. Uh, I'm intimately involved with Cardinals care and Michael Hall. and um, So we want to promote that so that people understand what we're trying to do. And then also talk about, I don't know about you guys, when's the last time you were downtown? It's been a while. Been a while for me. Well, I, w- I, I went to. I don't go anywhere though. <laughs> did some slew games. Yeah, I don't do. I don't yeah. either. So I've been down that part of it, but not all the way. I've been to Bush Stadium a few times, a couple times, but it's Ballpark Village looks different. So I'm going to ask about Ballpark Village. Mm-hmm. I think we should get into that. And can we start the season on time? Just where are we at? You know, do do you buy into the the memo? And what are you doing yeah. to prepare? So I think the last time I was downtown was for opening day. Was it really In July? That might be the same for me. I, I don't know if I've done anything else downtown. I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. all working virtually and trying yeah. to stay safe. And a lot of what takes us downtown, sporting events. Right. So we'll get an update on all that. Sounds good. Okay, thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. Great job today by our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. Thank you. Thank you. And Emily Roth is helping out, doing great work for us. Michelle, this was fun. Thank you. It was, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, LGB back at it tomorrow. The Blues and the Avalanche tomorrow night, 7 o'clock pregame, 8 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.